Hey, it's Thursday, March the 17th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. I've been having a little weird technical difficulties throughout the day, um, so if this episode sounds a little bit off, apologies to that. We'll make sure it's uh, it's fixed, but we already gave uh, out our big bracketology preview earlier on. Now we're going to dive into uh, the wrestling with Chad Cooper. We just had an abbreviated edition this week because we had to record early, so we didn't get a chance to talk about AEW. We'll double up that next week, but we wanted to uh, have a segment remembering Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, who passed away earlier this week. So Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne joined me to discuss the life of Scott Hall and his career in uh, the world of wrestling. Some of our uh, fond memories of him. We'll dish out some Thursday Sam Houston, some Friday Golfstream, and some Friday Santa Anita best bets. And then remember later on uh, in the week, Friday morning, we will have this weekend in Stable Duel at about 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. We will have that show. We'll preview everything happening on Friday and Saturday. I'll dish out some best bets for the weekend there. We'll post videos all weekend long, some of the daily racing form formulator past performances. So we'll be uh, diving into those. So if you need any uh, more the racing stuff for the weekend, just give us a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Now, the big news, I had to mention it. Freddie Freeman agreed to terms with the Dodgers on the six-year, $162 million deal. So Freeman in L.A. Now we will uh, take a few days, and early next week on our next episode of That's What G Said, we will recap everything that's been going on in the world of baseball free agency, and we'll take a look at everything that's going on in the world of the NFL free agency. There have been some trades. There's a lot happening. Right now, Deshaun Watson, where he's going to go. Baker Mayfield's upset. What's going to happen with him? We'll talk about all that. We've been in March Madness mode for a lot of this week. So that's where uh, a lot of the focus has been. And right now, our focus is going to shift over. And uh, we're going to talk a, a little horse racing right now. And uh, we'll, we'll talk some Thursday, Sam Houston, some Friday, Gulfstream, some Friday, Santa Anita. And uh, what's going on in the world of Stable Duel? Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. 
one click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone cross device functionality you can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices on the go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Let's take a look at that Stable Duel schedule for this weekend. Well, really Thursday into the weekend. We've got the Throwdown with Turk at Gulfstream Park. Twenty-five bucks to enter. You've got another uh, Gulfstream contest at the hundred-dollar double up. A free ride at Sammy Houston. We're going to talk a little bit about the Sam Houston races right now. You've also got. The $50 game at Sam Houston and the $5 game at Charlestown. So lots of options on Thursday, Friday, Gulfstream, Tampa, Laurel, and Santa Anita. Don't forget, 8 o'clock Pacific time, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. We will have this weekend in Stable Duel for you. Saturday, Gulfstream, Laurel with a free ride, Santa Anita, and Sam Houston. And then on Sunday, you've got Gulfstream, Laurel, Santa Anita, and Golden Gate so many options this week with Stable Duel. Get those entries in and play race win. Let's head on over and start talking a little Sam Houston for Thursday. So we're looking at Thursday, March the 17th. Happy St. Paddy's Day. Race one at Sam Houston. We've got some 5,000 claimers going a mile on the main track here. I'm looking at the three pop life who can sit a pretty nice trip. Comes out of that uh, productive race where uh, he was able to beat next out winning run Tappy. The six-horse attained success should show some pace from the outside. You've got the one King Nate down on the inside, kind of tough to leave out of exotics. The five, G's turn. It's my turn. It's my turn, G's turn. Maybe rounding out some of the bottom of exotics. Let's move to race number two, 25 non-winners of three going a mile and a 16th on the turf course here. I thought the four was interesting, the influencer. Second start off the, the long, long layoff gets back to the turf where we saw him win his lone turf start. This guy's got some ability. He's just not been able to uh, 
to stay on the racetrack a whole lot. He's a, a four-year-old with just six lifetime starts, and he had that big gap from November of 2020 to February of 2022. So should be able to keep stepping forward with more racing under his belt. The three, Go Speed Racer Go, feels like one who can return to some success getting back on the turf. You've got the 10 towards the outside. Do I think you may want to use in exotics Drew Power? Brock on by the seven scratched out of a spot uh, the other day for this spot. So maybe uh, this is the one that they like a little more. Speaking of liking it more, how about the eight? More like it. Another one that's sort of hard to leave out of exotics. And what looks like a pretty tough race, I'll, I'll use the four on top of combos of three, eight, ten, eight, and seven, depending on uh, what sort of rolling exotics you're playing. Let's get to the third race at Sammy H. We've got the one Kameed's. Uh, sometimes I can be a social comedian out there, huh? The one comedian who should save ground and has had some wide trips recently, so hopefully just gets the, the, the different type of trip, saving all the ground, and then shows if they're good enough. Dobbins G, second start off the long layoff, and finally starting to put some races together. This guy should be uh, pretty tough in here. The five, bow and arrow, also very logical and multi-exotics there. Let's move to race number four. We'll get back to the turf course. We'll go a mile here. Made in special weights. The eight horse, Brucella, wanted to go and was just kind of waiting, 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 and then had to settle fourth and sort of lost ground, was back to last on the inside. It was a weird trip. Then moved up the rail, split horses, angled out. This showed that this horse had a lot and kept trying all the way. Brucella could get a nice trip in a race where there seems to be a good amount of speed on paper. We'll use along with the 9, Tis Life. We'll use along with the 7 in some exotics, Brentley. And then the 6, Smart Battle, if you're looking for a, a big long shot in some underneath spots. 8, 9, 7, 6 in race number 4. Moving along to the 5th, we've got Texas Bread. Non-winners of 2, $10,000 claimers, 6.5 furlongs. The distance, Phillies and Mares, 3-year-olds and upward. I'll go towards the outside with the 6, She's a Hunk. The 2-back effort going 6.5 in a similar spot would be really competitive the seven, head over boots, third start off the bench, another one who should be kind of sitting in a good spot from the outside there. So I'll use those two, and I'll take a shot against the eight, and maybe use the eight, she's an angel underneath. I'm going to have combos of the six and seven, trying to get through any pick threes and uh, pick fours, pick fives, all that kind of stuff, as that starts the late pick five. Late pick four begins in the sixth, optional 30s, non-winners of two, going five furlongs on the turf course there, the seven. Men of Kyle as a big price horse. I think third start off the bench, a little bit sneaky in here. Could get a nice trip with what looks to be a lot of speed on paper. You've got Corky, that's Fact Jack, Viatorum, all fast, good scout, really quick. And now all of a sudden on paper, you've got this race, looks to set up for horses coming from off of it. And that might be Men of Kyle at a price. I'm going to use combos of the... Uh, Five, six, seven, and nine, and the the seven will sort of be that price horse. The six looks like the one to beat, the one they'll all have to hold off. I think Super Brady should be a little bit better moving to the outside in here. Race number seven, we got $7,500 non-twos, six furlongs, the distance on the dirt course, the three, Temple of Light, probably the horse to beat. I have this horse uh, stacked third in here. The four, Finding Silver, I prefer. Maybe even lean on this horse as a some sort of an exotic single in this race and then play another ticket where we end up using three, four, and five. The five selling short. You put a line through that last effort where it just didn't seem comfortable before the race and ran into three-time charmer. If you're playing this horse off the two-back effort and then looking for one more step forward, then now you can make a case for this horse at a bit of a price. Four, five, three, 
in race number seven. Moving along to race number eight, we've got 10,000 non-winners of two here. These are three-year-olds and up. Six and a half furlongs, the distance on the main track. Mucho bling, third off the bench. Feel like the way this race shapes up with a couple speeds down towards the inside, Mucho Bling should be tracking really nicely in here. The five takes the blinkers off. Bodymore Heath coming in off that maiden victory. And the nine towards the outside, I'll also use in a lot of the exotics, Manny Surprise, who put a line through the turf race. And if we're just keying in off the, uh, the race two back on the dirt going five and a half, that would make Manny Surprise pretty tough in here. Six, nine, five. In race number nine at Sam Houston, they'll go a mile and a 16th on the turf course. Brody Baby from the inside. The only turf sibling won on it. So I think Brody Baby, you know, looks to be bred very nicely for the turf in here. Keep an eye on the one. We'll include the five Cha Cha Mission in a lot of exotics. The eight Sip has been pretty good in those last couple starts, flashing good speed. The seven Magical Stardust feels like there is some upside with this guy, uh, with this gal, who's uh, still pretty lightly raced. And even the four, Stellazar, probably one I would use in uh, in some exotics, maybe closing some late uh, rolling exotics. That is Thursday for Sam Houston. Good luck, St. Patrick's Day. So I am going to have Friday best bets for Santa Anita, Friday best bets for Gulfstream. What I will do with Sam Houston is I'll post a Friday video with the DRF pass performances. And so I'll do that for Friday. I'll do that for Saturday. I'll spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes going through the cards, showing you a couple of replays, showing you some charts. So the best way to uh, always get any in, any info, any of the content I'm doing, give me a follow on Twitter, social media. It's me, Gino B. That's the best way to stay up to date to everything that we've got going on. So good luck on Thursday. Let's uh, turn the page on over to Friday. Let's get some best bets for golf. Let's get some best bets for Santa Anita. So we're looking at Gulfstream Park Friday, and we're going to take a look at March the 18th, races 3, 5, 8, and 9. So in race number 3, we've got a maiden special weight group going five furlongs on the turf. I like the two no-nay Franklin. You're going to go third start off the bench. This gal or this guy gets back to the turf and cuts back. Tried the seven furlong trip on the dirt last time out and just didn't fare all that well. Two starts back went seven and a half on the turf, and that was the first start between September and January. And he ran pretty well that day. He finished third in a field of 12. It was a race that he probably needed. He was kind of in an in-between trip. It wasn't the smoothest of journeys. Now, you, you key off his two turf races. They've both been very good. The race going five furlongs. He was only beaten neck that day. This guy's six to one on the morning line. I had him more like a seven to two shot in here. The number two, no, nay, Franklin. Let's get to race number five at Gulfstream Park on Friday. I'm looking at the eight horse in here. They're going to go five and a half furlongs on the, the dirt. And Gam Gam Joanne is going to get Irad Ortiz jumping aboard and has a couple very intriguing works for a horse who is not really facing any monsters and had some trouble at the start last time out. This is a great horse to use in like a stable duel lineup because this horse is a bomb on the morning line and won't cost you much at all to include in exotics. So maybe throw into some of your early pick fives, pick fours, and uh, some of those rolling. Let's get to the eighth race. The uh, optional 25 first level allowance, mile one turn mile here at Gulfstream Park. Miss Michaela is sharp and goes into a good 
claiming Barn wouldn't shock at all. But I like Viva Lared, who gets back to the dirt for the line through that race last time out. And I think we can give Viva Lared a, a shot. That race was just going a little bit too long last time out, going long on the synthetic. And now you're returning to uh, just to key off that January the 27th race. And I think Viva Lared would be uh, in good shape in here. And in the ninth race, got another sort of long price for you. Maybe another horse to use in a stable dual lineup. T. Waltz, the five, who just returns to the turf and has not done much wrong there. So I feel like we'll get a, a much better account of this filly getting back to the green. That's Gulfstream Park on Friday. Good luck as we turn the page and move on over to Santa Anita. Let's give out a couple of Santa Anita plays for Friday. Friday, Santa Anita. We're going to take a look at races 2, 5, and 9. And in race number 2, we've got a group of maiden $20,000 claimers going a mile on the main track. I thought the 7 towards the outside uh, team concept, adding the blinkers, second time for Carla Gaines, second time starter. The barn is not good at all with first time starters, and they're much better second time out. Just 3 for 92 first time out, 8 for 79, so a lot better. And this barn's having a nice meet. The blinker's on. They stretch this one out. If you watch the race, this filly had a good start. She was third, a couple lengths off. She got caught in between horses. I thought she closed well on the inside and just missed second in a three-way photo in a race where the winner absolutely crushed. So Team Concept might look a little bit better on paper after watching the race there. I'm going to play the seven all over, six to one on the morning line. Anything around four would be very fair. Let's go to the... The third race, the seven Flint Stroll, I think is probably going to be pretty tough in there if you're looking just in early exotics. I try to give out horses that are a little bit bigger prices than that, though. In the fifth race, the one Carpe Bellum. The dam broke the maiden going long on the synthetic, so I think this guy going longer will really help him. He's going to add the blinkers, now two sprints to a route, and I like the races that he exits. He had a little bit of trouble at the beginning in both of those. Hopefully the blinkers will get him more focused. In the race, the January 9th race came back live. The winner, the sixth place finisher, won a maiden special weight. Next out, the winner, Don't Swear Dave, is multiple is a multiple winner, and he's also stakes placed. The runner-up, Win the Day, came back to break the maiden special weight, just not the next start. Now Carpe Bellum. In a race where there's not very much speed, I hope they get aggressive. I like the one in here, 15-1 to 1 on the morning line. Anything around 7 will make a win wager there. And we move to race number nine. I'm looking at the seven in here. Shut up, Michael. Uh, played this horse last time, and he did have a little bit of trouble. And uh, I'll, I'll give him another shot back. He was about fifth, four lengths off. And then he made an early move up in between horses and right behind the leader. He was sort of searching for room. He tried to he tried to move, like look for a spot, and it closed. And then he had to alter course a few times. Sort of sneaky trouble there. For shut up, Michael. The number seven, six to one on the morning line. That is Santa Anita for Friday. Remember, Friday we'll have uh, plays for you Friday morning live on Twitter. If you follow me, it's me, Gino B, Barry Spears, and Matt DeSantis will be hanging out with me to preview some uh, the big racing for Friday. For Saturday, we'll give out best bets. We'll give out stable dual plays, and they're always long shots. Um, so if you need more help with the Friday, you can check in there. And then I'll also have a Friday Sam Houston on a video for you. And we'll talk some Saturday. I think I'm going to jump on Santa Anita's live uh, Twitter feed and, and YouTube on Friday. We're going to preview. There's a Santa Anita rainbow pick six mandatory payout on Saturday. So I'll have some content out there for that in the next few days. And then some uh, some Gulfstream stuff for, uh, for Saturday as well as we 
make the transition on over into talk some wrestling. Before we do, we have to talk about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. Her website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out in so many ways, buying, selling, leasing, the connections, getting you in touch with the right type of vendors if you need help with home improvement, landscapers, gardeners, painters. Maybe the the loan process has been tricky for you. She'll connect you with the right kind of lenders that'll make that process go a lot more smoothly for you. Cindy Carava is super, super genuine. She's going to let you know exactly what you need to do. She's not going to BS you at all, and she's one of the kindest people I've ever met C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. You can check out reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow. You can see all the listings that she has on the website and project that uh, projects and clients that she's uh, worked with in the past. Cindy Carava. So next up, we have just a really short edition of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. And we were on, you know, like I said, today and this, this week was a little bit tough for me just based on the schedule. So Chad was uh, very cool and kind to join me for a bit. We just sort of recapped everything that was going on in WWE. We recorded it early in the day, so we didn't get the chance to watch AEW yet. And then uh, Chad dishes out a, a couple thoughts on the bracket at the end, March Madness. Following that, we will uh, touch base with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali for our segment, Remembering Razor, where we pay tribute to Scott Hall and his career in professional wrestling. Next up, it's Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Okay, this is a really busy sports week. There's March Madness going on, college basketball over the place, NFL free agency, baseball just got out of the lockout, and we're on the road to WrestleMania. We're just a few weeks away, but we are going to just do a short edition of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. He joins me. uh, Very lucky that Chad was able to audible again. My schedule's been nuts, but we just wanted to make sure we touch on a lot of the important stuff happening so that way we're all updated, and then over the next few weeks, we'll have a lot of content Leading you into Wrestlemania Coop, the uh, the really sad news This week, we did a full Tribute to Razor Ramon um, That is going to play uh, Just following our our Conversation, uh, I, I did it last night With Andrew and Darren and we sort of went through the arc Of his career, man this guy Was really, really loved He was troubled uh, outside the ring But it felt like this At this point of his life, he had really got things Back uh, on, on in a positive note Things were back on the right track He was helping out with a lot of the youngsters And unfortunately he passed away Earlier this week And the outpouring of support And, and the responses just show you What a big deal this guy was um, In the early 90s in WWF And then when he moved over In, uh, in the NWO with WCW uh, This one hit close to home Gino uh, I, I remember watching On ESPN back in the 80s uh, mid-80s, when big Scott Hall debuted in, in AWA in the old showboat arena and over there in Tropicana, at the Tropicana in Las Vegas, and uh, seeing him tag with Kurt Henning and just following him throughout his career, I've, I've loved everything he's done 
Um, th- this one, uh, it, it's uh, a loss for words here. And uh, it, it's just, you know how impactful he was to the the wrestling industry from fans to to workers, you name it. All the uh, the support that he has he has been given over the last week or two. We found out he was not in very good shape, and uh, man, it was uh, it, it, it was just heartbreaking. But I'll tell you this: uh, fantastic uh, tribute uh, that WWE did uh, on Raw. Really um, good. It it, it was uh, it touched the heartstrings for sure. So um we're gonna talk about wwe right now it's never easy to move from talking about how sad it is uh that razor's gone but we do dive into um his whole sort of career arc and trajectory and when he started and everything all the way through the end in uh, in our little uh remembering razor tribute coop we're on the road to wrestlemania and last week it was not the best edition of smackdown in that the thing that we remember coming out of it is that unfortunately Big E broke his neck and Ooh. it was not great. It's one of those things that I mean they it's a, a an over the head throw. They do this all the time. It's a spot that happens repeatedly. It was just a combination of maybe you know not taking the bump correctly or maybe Ridge just kind of a little bit off, a little bit off, right? Just I don't it's not anything malevolent. Nobody was trying to hurt anyone. It was just an accident and Big E is now had to be stretchered out. He has a broken neck. And, you know, this dude is really, really well liked, too. It's not like he broke his neck. People aren't going to come out and say, oh, I hate Big E. But I think you get a, a good idea of another person right now who is really, really supported. And I, I know things are bigger than wrestling and it's bigger than in the ring, but I can't help the the sick person in my head can't help but get there and just think that. If he's able to get healthy and come back, which it seems like the the prognosis is for him, this guy is going to be an insane baby face, and people are going to really want to see him succeed. So I just hope that we get to see him in a ring again because the pop for Big E when he comes out will be mag will be huge, massive. Yeah, even if you're not a Big E Big E in ring fan, I, I haven't been the biggest. Uh, a new day fan. Th- this was tough to watch, and um, it's scary. It happens. It's live television too. Um, it, it's um, it, you. You often wonder why this hasn't or how this hasn't happened as much as it has. This shows you how good uh, athletes these guys and gals are, and what they do uh, in and out of the ring, and the training, and everything. Go. It, it happens, guys. It, it just does. Um, but again, the support, um, it, it's like there, there's never been a bad word said about Big E in the locker room, in the ring. I think everyone is his friends. Um, you know, the good thing about it is I think modern medicine is so advanced now, especially when you you talk about orthopedics. And he even joked I, for a guy that's broken his neck and you're going to be out for a long time. He's laughing. He Great spirits, right? He Man. said, "Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in. I was in the best state. If this was going to happen anywhere, you know, it happened here. They, you know, and, and I, from from him, I don't think he needs surgery, uh, which is probably uh, a, a great plus. So, um, all indicators are that uh, that he is okay. Um, but man, it sure is going to be a long long road back. But I'm with you." 
when he gets cleared, there's your champion right there. Right. And there's your champion. In a weird way, we were kind of saying when he got there were it was like he was there was something missing. And now this is that natural the that groundswell of momentum of people wanting to support you that you can't create. You can't fabricate something like this. This is real life. People want to see him get back and be healthy and be able to do what he loves. And and when he does, he will get really supported. So Fingers crossed for Big E. Um, let's see if he can get back and be get in the uh, that w- that's that ring uh, very soon. He's in incredible spirits. We had Sasha and Naomi over on SmackDown beat Natty and Shayna. We had Rick Boogs <laughs> beat uh, Jay Uso. So we're gonna get Boogs and Nakamura against the Usos at WrestleMania in the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. We got Ricochet defending his Intercontinental Championship against Sami Zayn, and we continued, you know. Building the feud for Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns And the uh, for the women with Charlotte and with Shayna So anything that kind of jumped out to you from uh, from SmackDown It's pretty cool to see Ricochet stack up some wins Yeah, hey, it was a great match It was, the you know, basically the, the main event Even though we ended the show with Ronda and Charlotte brawling And I'll get to that in just a second The only problem I had with the match, it just seems like there was a lot going on with Austin Theory and McAfee um, during that match as well. It kind of spilled over because that segment was before, you know, McAfee, uh, you know, gets the upper hand there. Uh, But yeah, Ricochet, it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go with Ricochet here to WrestleMania. Here we are a couple of weeks away and there's still some names out there. Um, that that don't have anything. You have Ricochet from SmackDown. Um, you have Sheamus from SmackDown. I don't know what they're going to do there. But kudos, though. The way they've handled this Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair uh, storyline has just been phenomenal. And it's just a, another great way uh, to tell this story with what happened last Friday night. Uh, you had a segment uh, earlier in the night with, with great heat for with Ronda and Charlotte, and then you end the night. Uh, Charlotte's punching Jamie Noble. Stuff. Yeah, I yeah, love it's it. It's good. It's good. It makes you really want to see those those two ladies, and that's going to uh, headline night number one. So we're starting to get there, even though we're a couple weeks away. We've got each night now has what five matches, five segments each. So, uh, but still, there's some questions on that SmackDown side. What are we going to do with the Ricochet? What are we going to do with uh, with Sheamus? So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, this week on SmackDown. Yeah, starting to take uh, shape a little bit for WrestleMania 38. God, that sounds crazy. Right? Man, just like yesterday, it was, I, I was, I, I remember WrestleMania. I, I had all of those things on cassette, and I used to watch them all the time, and man, even the ones that really didn't work. What WrestleMania was it where they had Three locations and WrestleMania two, like WrestleMania two, and then of course the mm-hmm. big one, three in Pontiac Mission, the Silver Dome. But yeah, yeah, it just seems like yesterday this stuff started. Gosh, so we <laughs> move along to Monday Night Raw, where you know you and I were talking a little bit about it. I didn't love some of the booking on Monday Night no, Raw, this is unfortunately. Weird, a weird show, man. So we had Priest beat U.S. Champ Finn Balor, even though he just lost the title. And trying to build Finn back up And and if these guys are going to have a feud And if they're going to have a match Why do we keep having them wrestle over and over again Not a fan of that Omos defeating Commander Aziz Okay Liv Morgan beating uh, Queen Zelina Okay that's fine Ray and and Dominic uh, defeat Cedric and Shelton 
it's okay. You're building up the Mysterios. They've got a match at Mania, and we actually see the Mysterios on uh, NXT, which I thought was sure. pretty cool. A lot of the crossover for NXT Tuesday, and then we've got Riddle beating Montez Ford via DQ, Bianca Belair Dewdrop, which these girls do a great job when they wrestle. Their matches are always really good. Bianca has that impressive spot or two, but we've seen this how many times in the last couple months, Chad? I think nine. Someone, unless someone was being facetious, you know, I was just doing. I a think lot that of sounds right. It sounds I, right. I think these two ladies have wrestled for the ninth time, and look, it was a, a again a solid match. We know Dewdrop can go. I think it's weird that Nikki Ash is is hanging out with Dewdrop again. I guess they have nothing for her, so just do it. Um, we did see Becky Lynch back. She gets involved and she attacks uh, Bianca after the match violently. And I think if I heard correctly, Bianca said next week I, I'm coming for that hair. So um, Raw will be interesting here on Monday night because, again, we're just a couple of weeks closer. There's no way Becky cuts her hair, right? I, you know, there, no, that's the mo- you can't let her cut her hair. That's, that's the money. The, that's the money there. Yeah, but she did say she's trying to get heat. Yeah, I noticed, look, Becky is, like, really, really skinnier to me. I like thicker Becky. I know she looks look, she looks phenomenal. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I'm just like, man, I, I like Becky a little bit bigger. But they're trying to build heat with Becky, and uh, at least you got that. But it was just a weird night. It, it, again, with, with Priest and Finn, you lost the title, and so we, we get a return match, and this one's not for the title, and you bury Finn Balor. And then Austin Theory still is doing his thing with Finn Balor with these selfies. Why is he out there? It didn't make sense. Veer is still coming, apparently. (laughs) Um, He is lost. We'll we'll see about that. And I'm I'm just not a fan of the way that they frame this, where it's like, I don't like the whole, uh uh-oh, I don't have anything to do for WrestleMania. Yeah, I don't either. I hate that. It's like, why? So I'm supposed to believe that, Seth Rollins, one of your best wrestlers Is just like sad and you're really Not having any plans for him I don't like that storyline You have Seth and KO fighting over Who's going to get to host a talk show At Wrestlemania <laughs> In a hell of a match too It that was a great match These guys are, great. I love Bye. the And I love them together And KO was like, you're like Mr. Wrestlemania He's going through all the stuff He said, you, you know, you cashed in there And you had the great match and You lost to me, you know, and he's just going along <laughs> Which is, I thought that was funny and So yeah, that was it, it, So here's the thing it, it all lined up perfectly right They were stalling for this main event Last Monday we And it looked like Florida, Cody Rhodes right? was coming out They kept saying it They mentioned the nightmare on the commentary They mentioned yeah. um, uh, Smoke and mirrors They mentioned like He said everything that you would have referenced To Cody Rhodes And then he doesn't show up So I felt disappointed, and it's one of those things where like WWE didn't promote him, right? We were it wasn't like they said he was coming and we didn't. We we sure, just thought sure. he was going to because of the Jacksonville and everything. And I'm I've been hearing from some places and reading that they may not have done it because of the Scott Hall stuff. Well, I, and you I, know, I that, wonder that you know I I don't know why they wouldn't do it because of that. You're right because um, it thought- doesn't. Is it, is it going to take away? They, I think that they were maybe saying that would be the news coming out that Cody was back. Cody was close to Scott Hall and, and, and Dusty. And look, and, and look, that could be it. Maybe, I thought maybe. For sure Vince would go straight for the jugular, and Jacksonville Cody comes out right. Absolutely. Um, if you do have Cody Rhodes, though, if, if you do, um, this is a thing where 
I mean, how many more Raws do we have before two? You know that weekend. So two, two Raws so, before me. You know, what's Plan B? Because Seth's on the top of my list as as of right now, he doesn't have anybody. You know, Seth he, has no Plan B. No, I mentioned Ricochet, Finn Balor. Are, are we doing Damian Priest again? Ugh, Alexa Bliss, nothing. Um, Kofi. You know, Xavier Woods has been coming back. Uh, I, I think he's working house shows, so so he's getting healthy. So there are, again, a lot of big question marks uh, for this. You know, I'm not sold, really. Look, I, I'm really not sold on um, uh, on the tag, the Raw Tag Team title situation right now. I, you know, the Street Profits come out. I said, man, they've crapped on Alpha Academy. And then Alpha Academy gets involved at the end, so it looks like, we're going to go with a triple threat with that which is sort of I weird just, because i don't i like all of those teams me too it just sort of felt like the street profits aren't in this conversation right now and then having to try, trying to be a heel tweener they kind of came out i know uh, look the match was fine with it was Bruno good montez had no issues but i Again, I, I think WWE is kind of getting caught here, kind of what a, AEW does, and they just kind of stick stuff together for these pay-per-views, saying, oh, it's going to be WrestleMania, so all oh, people won't remember that we didn't build it up. But, man, it sure is good when you built stuff When you built stuff up. Look, we know we're not going to get a, a Charlotte-Ronda build-up for every storyline or a Brock-Roman that's been going on for over a year, but something more than a week or two weeks, or you don't have to announce on WWE social media that you're actually having to do this stuff. I'm hearing rumors that there may not be an Andre the Giant Memorial Battle. battle. I'm hearing, I'm hearing that the women are going to have a battle royal this year. So okay, uh, but we, it sure is an interesting, interesting road to WrestleMania here. It, it, you look, Brock comes back this week on SmackDown. That'll be that'll be fine. But uh, there are some big question marks for some big-time players here that don't have an opponent. And right now, Seth Rollins is that guy. So we'll see if uh, Cody and Austin uh, you know, are going to be in the mix. We know Austin will be there for the KO show. We'll see what's going on with Cody. I got to say, someone who I don't – someone who fits really well in the wrestling world is Logan Paul. Yeah. I think him and The Miz do a really <laughs> good job together. Like they're yeah, just, they do. They they're do. like great heels. And for as much as – I don't like what they've been doing with the Mysterios That they're a good foil It's a great bad guy, good guy Situation, everybody knows <laughs> Ray and Dominic are the good guys, everybody knows Miz and Logan are the bad guys And you're rooting for The, the good guys and you want to see the bad guys Get punched, it's simple It's not a Wrestlemania main event But I, I think he's done a pretty good job And Miz with him, it seems like It's a nice fit it is, and look, we we didn't mention about it on SmackDown, and I I know I've been hammering, hammering you guys with all these Sami Zayn moments on on Twitter, but what they've been able to do the phone thing with Sami Zayn, the giving away his phone number, this has been hilarious. It, it's been really good, and look, I was the first to say this is you know with Johnny Knoxville. Look, I was the big Jackass fan. I think we all I were. Love, yeah, you know we we love those skits, but. I'm like, oh, man, you know, Johnny Knoxville is going to be in this ladder match or whatever they decide to do. and It's just not going to work out. Um, this has just been fantastic. Again, Logan Paul, you know, all you have to do is, is go on social media and type in Logan Paul and see how much this guy is hated. And he fits perfectly with him is, um, you know, it's good stuff. I, what kind of match will it be? I don't know. 
uh, this is actually a night one match uh, that they've announced. So, uh, look, Gina, we've we've got five matches each night. Sat, you know, night one, which is Saturday night, April 2nd. We know Charlotte and Ronda are going to main event. You have Becky Lynch and Bianca that's going to be on that card. The KO show. Which is weird. On. That's so weird. Why Very wouldn't you weird. split those two women's matches up? I don't know. And then you have uh, the uh, Ray and Dominic versus Miz and Logan Paul and Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin. That's on night one. So Yeah, it, so it, night one is, is lacking something, right? It's, it's something. So something has to be good because night two, look, of course, we got Brock and Roman. You have Sammy and Knoxville, AJ Styles and Edge. Edge has a new song, walkout song from Alter Bridge. Uh, McAfee and Theory. And then you have the triple threat for the women's title. Uh, I mean, that has the more star power right now between the two nights. So if they do have Cody and Seth, that that's definitely probably coming on night one. But I, night one with those two women matches, which I'm all up for, I thought would at least you would split, yeah. right? Because all indications are that Charlotte's that Ronda's going over and Bianca's going over, right? I know this is that's a little bit it's weird. weird. That's a little weird that they wouldn't split those two up. That is. Uh, what the the card looks like for Mania. Let's quickly jump over and uh, spend a couple minutes on what was happening in NXT. We're getting a lot of crossover now yeah. from from the main roster. They're starting to set up that stand and deliver card. And man, um, I, I, LA Knight, dude. I mean, he loses. <laughs> so I don't I don't love that he loses, right? But wow, is uh, he comes out? Is that Stone Cold Steve Austin? Like the response? This crowd man. is nuts for the guy. I don't know how if Vince is watching this, he he's not like we got to get this guy up here right now. He's got all of the the swagger, everything, the promo. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, man, I love this guy. He's just in it to take a, a razor, Ramon. He's oozing machismo right now. Yeah, yes, good call. I, I don't see how you keep him down. Um, I, this this again, another solid NXT show. Uh, the build up to stand to deliver, which is solid. Um, I, I, I did find it interesting that LA Knight kind of had a little his path crossed backstage with Gunthar. Yeah, um, he's like feuding like, with everybody right now. LA is. Knight. So we probably get that match, uh, right? It's stand and a deliver. stand and deliver match. That could be just a fun like one off. You let Gunther or maybe win that match and go after whoever's the next champ, and then you bring LA Knight up. That'd be yeah, because because look, we we got a promo from Tommaso Ciampa. Who, we it was the same promo kind of that Baker Mayfield cut. It was like an adios. I'm out. Yeah, and, and he's done with Cleveland, and it looks like Tommaso is moving up. Uh, look, L.A. Knight. There's a lot of star power, and there's a lot of big up and comer that we know are going to be over uh, on NXT 2.0. But the hottest of the hot is L.A. Knight. He is. He is just incredibly over. Right now, yeah, you mentioned Cameron Grimes. So Escobar wins the qualifier, so he's in the ladder match. But then after Cameron Grimes cut a promo where he talked about how he's mad at himself for losing, he promised his dad he was going to win titles, he made it. So you you almost feel like there might be another opportunity for him to get into this match. If I would have bet had to bet, I would bet Grimes gets his way in one of these next few weeks, and Grimes ends up winning the thing because it seems uh, like he's got a story to tell right now. Yeah, that that was uh, again another good promo there because we still have a TBD to be determined spot 
in that NXT North American Championship ladder match, uh, which Carmelo Santos, and we have two qualifiers coming up this next Tuesday night, uh, Solo and Roderick Strong and A-Kid and Grayson Waller, and then you have a TBD. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Grimes gets in because, again, another star I think is is probably going to be moved up here pretty soon is Carmelo Hayes. Dude, he was unbelievable on on commentary. He just, he is. just is like He's a star. just booking matches out there. It's like yeah. setting everything up. It's He's like he is. He really is. It's uh, it's incredible to see the progression from him. Uh, a kid defeated Kushida. Tiffany Stratton defeated or uh, Tiffany uh, Stratton and Saray got into it. And then we had NXT getting horny again. We had like the live sex celebration in the ring with like Indy and freaking uh, Dexter Loomis was back and Duke and Persia. It was like, what is happening here? They were full on Mac and all in the ring. And it was like the the one up. They looked over at each other and they're like trying to go farther than the people next to them. Man, I'll tell you what, I I didn't like the, the poker gimmick. But another one is drawn on me, even though we didn't get to see Chase U this week. And I did see all the fans in that section. Uh, I think Duke Hudson is one of those bad guys, one of those heels that, can, again, I see him on the main roster. There, there's a lot to hate about this guy. And I think, again, this is another match you're probably going to get a stand and deliver. You're probably going to get a mixed tag here. Uh, worth mentioning that our guy Tony D, he Tony he, D, baby, he took out Champa when Champa was cutting that promo. He attacks Champa, and Tony D tells Champa. Uh, at, at first, it looked like he wanted to have a like a, a match of respect with him. You know, sure. he, he was like, "I respect you." Uh, you know, he was kind of showing him um, some some support for everything. And then when they they shook hands, Tony D attacks from behind. And he, I love what he did. He said, I'm going to be the new Don of NXT. And he <laughs> gave him a kiss on the cheek like the Godfather. Like and that. so that looks like that's going to – maybe we have uh, uh, Gunther versus LA Knight. Maybe we have uh, this setup with Ciampa versus Tony D where, you know, uh, we could see some of the newer NXT guys get put over by by some of the more veterans. So um, I like the the setup, what we're doing there. Uh, I mentioned that Stratton got the win over Saray. And then in that Indy Persia match, that was, yeah, that was interesting. They come down to the <laughs> ring together. And then afterwards, they're both macking with their significant others. Um, hey, Dominic picks up a win. Hey, man. This is, hey, this is what they massive... needed to do for him. Dude, was that a massive pop? It was. That, that was one of the, look that that was one of the biggest pops uh, that in it that that someone in NXT look. I know the NXT crowds have been you know hot for the likes of Adam Cole. We talked about LA Knighty super over the band the Mysteria. Look the Miz opened the show that we had a damn Miz TV segment on NXT. This is what you needed to do with Dominic. Look, there was a lot going on in this match, but this is what you do. You know, you bring guys that look. Raul Mendoza doesn't doesn't need to win. He's just one. He's in a heel faction. This is what you need to do for guys instead of just like jobbing him out week in and week out, and then teasing a split with his dad. Just do something like this. I thought it, I, I thought it was fine. And then uh, the NXT Championship match, Dolph Ziggler gets the win over LA Knight. Um, uh, so Ziggler gets the win. And the match was good, as you'd imagine, uh, sure. with these two guys. I I don't like LA Knight losing these, but he's he's a big part of the show all the time. Sure. You can tell Absolutely. he's 
He's obviously someone that they have plans for This isn't like a burial type thing A um, few other things to mention Before we uh, finish up and get a, a March Madness Play for you uh, from you Coop We did get the Kind of fun Cora Jade story with the titles Throughout the night yeah. where oh, that was fun. Me too it was, was kind of cool She, she um, took the titles from Toxic Attraction And she spread them all around And then what I love is Mandy Mandy's not a scared heel champion No Mandy has been a badass from the beginning She has her minions right Toxic Attraction will help her They'll interfere, interfere in matches and stuff But Mandy will fight you She doesn't care and that's why I like the way that they presented Mandy. She doesn't come off like she's some Weasley sniveling heel. And this feels like a big moment for Cora Jade. So, as we sort of expected, Cora Jade and uh, Mandy Rose feel like that's going to be the uh, the title match for Stand and Deliver. One hundred percent. And I could definitely see Cora going over. She's just uh, young, talented. She has the look. Um, something that NXT two uh, definitely need look. We we all kind of like why is Mandy Rose coming to NXT? We remember when it happened. It happened like boom. She was on, she was on uh, Raw. Or I think she maybe got drafted to SmackDown one minute. The next week, you know, she she's in the back kind of scouting, and we're like, what is happening here? This has just been great. This this has been great for for Mandy Rose. It's been great for Gigi Dolan. Um, Oof, Gigi Dolan posting oh, picks. Shoes, man. I, I tell you, she's another one. I, you look, she's another one that's gonna end up on the main roster. She's great. She, she is. She's great. just great. And, and you're gonna get a tag team match for the winner of the women's side of the Dusty's Classic with Toxic Attraction, um, the Cord Jade match. The one thing that I'm kind of like, uh, I just don't know why MSK. I agree with you. Why did they get in the mix? It shouldn't have been. They lost. They got clean. booed. They yeah, were booed. It, they, they were, were and they were coming off kind of like heels. They were, it, they were booed. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Then there was the other part where in the show where we get everybody out there that felt like a, a sort of an AEW segment oh, sure. where it's like we got all these tags, <laughs> Brooks and Dunn, everyone's going crazy. It's like Brooks and Dunn were out there. Yeah, it's like what is going on? There's like a there's way too much happening. But for the most part, I like a lot of the build and where we're headed for stand and deliver. Folks, we always uh, like to talk AEW as well, but because of when we're recording on Wednesday this week, we haven't even been able to watch AEW Dynamite yet. So next week, we'll double up and we'll talk about everything happening in AEW, and we'll uh, we'll really start to dive into more on the road to WrestleMania. But it's March Madness, Koopaloop. Man. March Madness. Got to get a play or two from you in the brackets uh, before we finish up, so... Tell us, uh, you know, give us a team that you either have going far or something in the first round. Whatever you've got to tell us, you take it away. Man, I've been diving deep in here. And if 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 you know me very well, you know the trend is my friend. I love to bet trends. I don't care of the lineup. I don't care. You know, it's a different coach. It, it, it's a different year. I just love trends. And I, and I found this one trend that since 2005, any team – that has been supported by 82% or more by the public is 0-8 against the spread. And as, as of right now, you know, the game start on Thursday. As of right now, three teams fit that. Memphis, Duke, and North Carolina. We're not saying they're going to lose. I'm just saying those those teams fit this, this trend. I, I, I like, look, everybody and their mother are on Memphis. I, I'm glad Houston got the revenge 
in the Amer- American Athletic Conference Tournament Championship. Memphis had beat them twice during the season. I love that what Houston has been able to do. Um, haven't been the best Penny Hardaway fan. And look, I know he's he's fired up the Memphis fan base, but I think Boise State has something more to prove here. Yeah, the Broncos. We're talking about the Broncos, the blue turf. We're talking about the blue turf fast uh, Broncos. Boise State, who had – yeah, I was going to ask you what your line was because it was about two, two and a half, right right around there? Yeah, I, I got them at two and a half, but today I looked, you know, it, it, on Wednesday, they're getting three. I think Boise State has a chance to make this game really, really close. Um, I, I just – look, Memphis is, is Memphis. I, 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 I don't know. It's an 8-9 seed. And what uh, the, the real key is the turnovers. Boise State yes. is good defensively. Memphis turns the ball over quite a bit, and that could be something they capitalize on. You know, Boise State's been playing really good basketball as of late. They started their year three and four, and since then they've been incredible in what's considered a very, very strong conference this year. Koopaloop and my buddy Eric, who comes on my shows a lot all the time, he's also a big fan of uh, of Boise State in that spot. So Koopaloop and Eric both. On the on Boise <laughs> State, there. Uh, give us another uh, a team or two that you're looking at. You, you mentioned so. You, um, would those be plays like Duke? Would you be maybe playing against Duke, or is that one that you were just kind of? No, I, I'm definitely playing against Duke here. Not only do they fit in that trend, Duke is 0 and six their last six games against the spread in the NCAA tournament. Wow, they're giving 19 to Cal State Fullerton, who home of the baseball titans one of the the biggest busts the astros spent tons of money on phil nevin i I had his rookie card (laughs) i I spent tons of money on phil nevin's rookie card and just ended up like doing what matt cardona did to to all his action figures just started burning them Um, i'm about 30 minutes away from old cal state fullerton just right up the road from me yeah Yeah. look i I, look i I, i'm not a duke fan me neither Uh, Chad, I'm super like, anti-Duke. I like this play, and it's because there's there's something up with them. It's and I think I it, mean, it, North Carolina went went to the granddaddy of them all and beat them up on Coach the final, final. They had the student section. They were crying, and crying out loud. I I think that it's almost like first off, before any of the Coach K stuff this year, I didn't like this team that much. I thought they were a little no. overhyped. Their defense isn't that great, and then. All of this stuff with Coach K's final year, it's like that's become bigger than them. And sure, I, I think it's like they're anxious. They're playing a little tight. They have not played well for a few weeks. We're attacking Duke, Coop. I don't have them even winning two games. I think no. Davidson, I've got them losing to Davidson. And I think they can, the Fullerton can keep this game close. Let's do it, Coop. So you got like yeah. around 20, like 19, 19 and a half. Yeah, it's a good luck. Yeah, I looked at today. It's 19. You may be able to get 20. They're they're getting pounded by the public. This thing could be, it could be 85 to 15 percentage wise. Uh, I, I just look. Everybody likes to bet these big name teams. Um, you know, Michigan is another one of those teams everybody loves to bet. Uh, th- there's several games, and there's a lot of value here. Um, all all through this bracket. Um, There's some great future plays here. Uh, Look, of course, Gonzaga is the team to beat. I sprinkled a little money on Texas Tech, plus 550 to win the West region. Um, I think North Carolina is intriguing at plus 2,000. Baylor is not going to win that region. Baylor is banged up. I've seen Baylor go up and down. They won it last year. They're not going to win it this year. And just looking on the other side of the bracket in the south, you know, Tennessee's playing good. Look, here's another one. TCU is one of the best all-time against-the-spread 
teams in the NCAA tournament. They're getting one or two points against Seton Hall. There's a lot of people on Seton Hall. I don't like Seton Hall. I like the Horn Frogs here. There's just a lot. There's a lot of stuff. So, you know, sprinkle some stuff here. Look, I love what my University of Houston Cougars have done, you know, since Calvin Sampson has come over and reunited this program. What they've been doing is nothing short of amazing. They've been doing it with like seven or eight players. They're going to win a game or two. I think their bench play finally catches up with them. But look, I'm not sold on Arizona. I'm not. I'm just not sold on them. I, I, I would. Think nobody's. UCLA let's say nobody's that good this year. Even Gonzaga, no. Gonzaga's awesome on paper. They're great. They're, sure. We've seen. We saw two weeks ago when what all of the team, all of the top ranked teams went down sure. in the same weekend. All of them. Sure. It didn't. This doesn't seem like there's anyone that's all that terrifying this year. I've I've been so impressed with what that Houston coaching staff has been able to yeah. do yeah. without with missing some of their key players. And you know what? Just getting here and getting that five seed is pretty incredible. There's no reason why they can't win a couple games. I can they go deep against some of the better teams without their better players? Probably not. But man, power to them. It's been a, a great, great year for them again. Yeah, and I'm not sold on Illinois. That's another team that the the public has jumped all over. Um, they're a team. They're a team. St- statistically, they have a horrible against the spread percentage in the NCAA tournament. I, I'm not sold on them. You go down to the Midwest. I'm not sold on Kansas. I'm not a big fan of Bill Self and that program. Uh, Auburn has just been eh to finish the season. I agree. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, it, one interesting matchup in the in the Midwest to me is Providence as a four seed against South Dakota State, a 13 seed. And Providence is only laying two and two and a half points. Yep. And I, I like South Dakota State here to still. And look, there's a there's a there's a lot of people jumping all over Kansas, uh, jumping all over uh, uh, Auburn. Hey, look, I, I know your USC Trojans are going to have a tough haul here in this first round. Miami's got some quick guards. That's going to be a good game. But a sneaky, a sneaky future play at plus three ninety to win the Midwest is Iowa. I think Iowa. I think they're better uh, than than Michigan. I, I think they're better than Illinois. They could come out of this bracket. It's going to be really fun because it's not going to. I don't think it's going to be dominated by number one or number two seeds in the final four. I just don't think it is. Scoops, coop. You heard it here from Chad Cooper at the Chad Cooper. Thank you so much, buddy. Today's schedule and this week's schedule was a little bit crazy because I've been doing so much. And you're always uh, calling audibles and you're always able to help us out and jump in. And so uh, this week we didn't have our our long, uh, long form um, deep dive, but we'll do that next week and we'll catch up on everything. And it was nice to be able to just uh, briefly let everybody know what's going on and to get some of your thoughts on the bracket, my friend. Good luck with your bracket. Yeah, man. Yeah, man, and next week we could be talking about uh, a new AEW Women's World Champion. You're right. Could That's be talking true. about it, man. And we'll uh, we'll see what it. happened on Dynamite, and we'll uh, we'll have a couple Dynamites to recap next week. Koopaloop, my friend, you have a great one, and uh, good luck. I'll be talking to you soon. Always fun, Gino. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to discuss on That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood? Something all natural, soy wax, non-toxic, baby. Sense for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. C E R A Candles.com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 
10% off. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> hey, yo. It's a very sad day in the world of wrestling. Uh, many of you out there who are listening and you know, you probably tune in for the old wrestling rewatch sometimes with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. We like to dive into old pay-per-views, old wrestling shows. But this week we're gonna do something a little bit different. We spoke yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday night, March the 15th, and we got some very sad news on March the 14th that Scott Hall. Uh, many knew him as Razor Ramon in the, his time in the WWF Passed away yesterday So Darren and Andrew, myself, we're big fans of Razor Ramon uh, He was right in our wheelhouse when we were growing up uh, He really sort of, uh, after some early stints in you know, AWA, NWA He came to prominence in um, you know about 92 through 96 in WWF And then he went over and was a part of one of the biggest angles, if not the biggest angle in, in wrestling history um, with the uh, the NWO. So we're going to talk all about Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and the life of Scott Hall, some of our favorite moments, How what uh, we'll talk about his career, things that we remember. DZ, it's a, a sad moment, but we're going to have a, a lot of, uh, of good, positive things to talk because, man, this guy, I have a lot of really... Like significant wrestling memories This for me and I'm sure for you I'm like six years old When he's in WWF Right from that six to eleven Where I'm just watching like every single thing All the wrestlers I've got all the gear The first show that I ever went to Was at the Anaheim Pond He was on that show This guy was a big deal And he was just cool man He like he understood it The gimmick was He was a very very Good package of a, a professional wrestler Yeah, yeah, no question about it And, uh, you know, he, he was A lot of people didn't realize He, he was one big dude um, You know, right? that I was mean, weird he, He's huge and he, 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 just, huge. he doesn't come yeah. off that big Yeah, and, and a lot of it had to do I guess during, you know, a, a large portion of his career Probably standing next to Kevin Nash Who's enormously huge uh, but Scott Hall was like six, seven, six, eight, you know, 285 pounds. I mean, this was a, a monster of a man. Um, yeah, th this is one of the ones that, that really, you know, that really hurt, you know, this is up there with the ultimate warriors and the macho mans of the world, because not just because it's a name of, of prominence, but when you go back to our childhood and like you said, at the time, I watched him a little bit at the end of, you know, the late 80s in WCW, and we'll talk about what he did there as the, the diamond stud and, and that little brief run. But in WWF, uh, I was, you know, when he debuted in 92, I was nine years old. So you're talking, you know, the, the peak of my childhood fandom of professional wrestling and uh, came in as a as a well, a bad guy, um, had a great angle. Uh, did the whole Scarface gimmick with with the Razor Ramon. And one of the things about Scott Hall that, Andrew, I, I don't think people talk about enough is, man, the guy could work. I mean, he really, when he was at his best, he could go in the ring. He was strong. He had a good move set uh, and just a world of charisma that uh, maybe WCW missed the boat on in the late in the late 80s. But Vince McMahon sure knew what to do with him the moment he got him uh, in the WWF ring. I've told this story before on this show. The very first wrestling show that I can remember watching as a kid 
was in 1996 with Scott Hall coming out of the audience on WCW Monday Nitro to interrupt a match between Mike Enos and Steve Dahl. And that was the infamous, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here promo. Whoa, boy. Now, you look at some of the stuff AEW is doing and the first promo that CM Punk cut when he came back and whatnot and some of the surprise appearances and surprise debuts and surprise returns that we've seen, that legitimately set the wrestling world on its ear. And there were a number of things that he did where he was so far ahead of his time. Looking back, I agree with Darren completely in that Razor Ramon was a totally underappreciated worker when he was with the WWF in the early to mid-90s. It boggles my mind that Vince had Razor Ramon right there, right there, could work as either a face or a heel, could work with anybody, could draw money, people were interested in what this guy could do, and instead, when they needed a heel champion, we got a year's worth of Yokozuna? What? And what's funny about that is that Razor, I mean, his the first angle when he came into the WWF, and we'll go back a little bit in a second, um, but just and just because to, to piggyback on Andrew's point, the first angle that he he wrestled in or the, that he was a part of was interfering in the championship match in 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 on behalf of Ric Flair, and and it got the title off of Macho Man, and then he was in that main event feud. At Survivor Series 92 He went on, he wrestled against Bret Hart I mean, he was in the main event right off the bat And then following that I believe he never wrestled Another singles match for the title I think until 98 sold out Against Sting, if I'm not mistaken Or a 98 pay-per-view against Sting That we'll get to at some point But He spent so much time as the Intercontinental Champion It was almost impossible to get him into that spot It was always Wrestling for the IC title Or the champ Like losing it, winning it back and forth and back and yeah. forth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, he had a spot and it was a darn good spot, but there's a reason he's called probably the best to have never won a world title in a major promotion. The guy had every single thing you could ask for. Look, check the box. Athleticism, check the box. Technical ability, check the box. Even though he wasn't quite in the Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, world-class worker type. Very few are. He could work a good match with pretty much anybody. You look at the promo skills, check the box multiple times. The thing was in the late nineties, much was made of his issues by his own admission in a really good companion piece with this podcast. If you go out and you look for the E60 feature that they did on Scott Hall in 2011, by his own admission, he should have been dead a hundred times. The fact that he got himself clean, the fact that he wound up being a really big influence on a lot of guys that were fairly big stars in the 2010s, making himself accessible, coming back to WWE TV on occasion, And being beloved by the time of his death earlier this month, I mean, if that's not a redemption story, I don't know what is. And it is at this point that we must say Diamond Dallas Page is a saint. Yeah, we've seen him do this now. He's saved multiple people's lives. He's helped turn things around for them just by being there for them. Um, being and it's a, a tragic friend. irony. It's a, it's it is. a tragic irony for Scott Hall because all of the things that he did. Everything we're going to go through. Up to yeah. the drugs. All, how I many mean, times that he could have been just 
just taking and, a step off the wrong thing with as many and, of the and, drugs. Oh, by in the, the way, in 1983, he got into a borderline gunfight in a parking lot. I was going to mention this before we even started. I mean, he, he, yeah, mur- like, he murdered someone. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, the, the, the amount of trials and tribulations that he's gone through in his, in his life and the damage that he, you know, admittedly did to his own body, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, you know, thoughts of suicide, all of those things that he made it through all of that. He got clean. He got himself right. And we lose him because of a blood clot that traveled to his heart during a hip replacement surgery. I mean, it's it, you, you look at that and you, and you just want to slam your fist on the table and go, really? come on. Of like, all of the things, fair. all of yeah. the things it was that it was now when he's doing well. Yep. Yep. And like I said, this one, this one hurts. This one, yeah. this is one of the ones that you relate to him as a kid who is a great character and that you saw and you watched week after week after week, whether it was WWF, WCW, NWO, huge part of the biggest, arguably the biggest storyline in professional wrestling history. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, it sticks with you. And by the way, one thing I, I want to say before I, I forget to mention at some point in the podcast, talked about all the different things he did. He was as hated of a heel as you could be. And as beloved as a baby face as you could be, which is very there hard to do. Not many people that could do that. No, not incredibly tough. Just, yeah, incredibly tough to get to take the level of heat, add it to the level of whatever the word you want to call that that you know support that you get from the crowd uh, for a baby face. And on both sides of the spectrum, they are at the very top of where they could be. There's only a select few people in the history of professional wrestling that could do that. And Scott Hall was one of them. Now, one thing that I'll mention before we move on is, and I've said this too, wrestling is at its best when it is simple. I remember a TNA show that he did in the 2000s at some point. He came out, it was very clear he was not 100%, to put it very kindly. And he grabs the mic All he does is say, hey, yo, Mm -hmm. the crowd goes insane. He takes one look at Nash, lowers the microphone, and you can see him mouth the words, it still works. (laughs) And there was a lot that he did (laughs) that wasn't overly complicated, but that when he did them, it made him seem like a genius. He did a photo shoot episode on the old WWE Network. I don't know if that got migrated over to Peacock. I don't know. But he said a couple of things about just the way he handled television production and going around to people that did lighting to be able to say, Hey, listen, is there a place I should stand? Is there a way I should be looking into the cameras? Is there a way I should be addressing people just in his words, baby facing the production crew. And it's stuff that you never think about. But when he said them, you're like, that is so easy. And how much better could so many segments have been if people approached the business the way that Scott Hall did? Well, and you you were kind of hitting on a point that I wanted to mention too. Darren and and you were hitting uh, also talking about his underrated skills in the ring. I think because of his character and because of what we know of him later on in his life where he was drugged out a lot and he was kind of playing into it, you don't think of him as being like a really sharp wrestling mind. You know, but when when they talk about him, 
uh, he had really great ideas. I mean, the character the best Razor idea Ramon, he ever had was for Crow Sting. That was yeah. his idea. Yeah, the whole Razor Ramon idea he came up with himself. Yep. He Bischoff talks a lot about things, and even Sean and Triple H, you know, would mention when they're, they're driving in the car and they're you know riding from town to town places, and then even they'd, like, a bunch of them would be messed up. But then Hall would say something about one of their characters about Sean. Oh, you know, you should do this or like that, but do it a little bit like this. And they'd kind of like what? And then you think about it for a second, and they're like, whoa. So he he just had great instincts. You know, he sort of got it. Sort of understood what the wrestling business was from right away, and Darren uh, mentioned that that tragedy. Uh, I, I, that was in 1983, where he was involved. I think he was a he worked at security at a, a bar, sort of strip club, and he was dating one of the uh, one of the girls there. And her ex boyfriend came back and was all f- pissed off at him, and so they ended up getting into it. He got off on on self defense. He was I don't think ever and ended up getting charged with anything. But this was something that had to stick with him for life. And this guy who had all these demons and struggles, I think he mentioned it over and over in many interviews. And Nash mentioned it a lot of the time that I think this was something he could never get through. This this would wow. be something that's incredibly difficult for anyone to get through. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, you talk about an altercation where a guy pulled the gun on you and. Or, I mean, well, let, let's just say this. Uh, obviously, none of us know for sure. Scott Hall's uh, recollection of what transpired was they got into it. Mm-hmm. The gentleman pulled the gun on him. He was able to get the gun away from that guy, and he literally shot the guy in the head. Um, given how big Scott Hall is, that's probably not that hard to believe. I'm sure there's a lot of people that Scott Hall can get a gun off of. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can only imagine where you shoot a guy point blank right in front of you in the head. That's not going to go away. You're going to remember that and the visualization of that for your rest, the rest of your life. And I'm sure it haunted him every day. And Andrew, it wasn't all that long after that. It was actually even, I think, around that time when he had interest in getting involved in wrestling when he was working there in like the 1983 time he started to. Get in really good shape physically. Always was a big dude, has a you know huge size and frame. But he he was just kind of trying to figure out a way. He, he liked wrestling, I guess. From what he said, he he was going with some of his friends, and he just sort of I can do that. And he would stand like he would sort of try to size himself up uh, when he was in the crowd, and like I, I think I'm that guy's size, you know. I I could do this, you know. I, I'm big enough, and so he started just like a lot of people when you have kind of an inkling or a dream or something that you go after. It's what he wanted to do and he worked Really hard I think it was Kevin Sullivan Who initially kind of got him in the Door at one of the gyms That he was at and so he started showing up I believe uh, early on in the AWA uh, Yeah there were a couple Of small stints in NWA Territories in the mid 80s but The first time it became readily Apparent that this guy was going To be somebody was in One of my favorite promotions The mid to late 1980s AWA Uh, which Bobby Heenan has coined all the world's assholes in one of the great lines, (laughs) but he, so yeah, real quick, Andrew, before you move on, that's a good point. Cause so he did have a little in, in like 84 NWA Florida championship wrestling. He did have a feud there with dusty. He crossed path with Dan Spivey, Mike Rotunda, Barry Windham. They helped, um, yes, they helped train him and Spivey. 
And he was working in Jim Crockett, Charlotte, North Carolina a little bit He was part of a team named American Starship uh, He was Starship Coyote, Spidey, Spivey was Starship Eagle They didn't really get booked all that much They were involved in uh, something with Arn and Ole in the NWA Tag Team Championship But they didn't really seem to get a whole lot of opportunities He did cross paths with Marty Jannetty at one point Then he ends up in uh, 1985 AWA Yep And he came in and they called him Magnum Scott Hall. Look Mm. at him in the mid eighties and look at Tom Selleck. I'm not saying it's a dead on replica, but if they were brothers, you wouldn't be surprised. He had a look that was going to play very, very well for that time period. And he knew it now by his own admission, he was on steroids at this point. Then again, Pretty much everybody was. It was the mid to late 80s. There was a lot of stuff going on that would be considered unsavory now. Vern By the way, he also step. looked almost exactly like Magnum TA if you would have dyed, With the hair? dyed Magnum TA's hair a little bit darker. Yeah, they yep, were calling him bit, in some yeah. spots Tom Selleck. They like would reference him yep. like Tom Selleck. The Tom yep. Selleck lookalike, you know, and yep. he was playing into that. Indeed. So Vern Gagne saw something in him. Tried to make money with him. But like pretty much everybody else in the AWA in the late 80s, after it became readily apparent that he could work, that he had it as far as that star quality that nobody can ever define, but you know when you see it, he was on to something else. And he wound Mm -hmm. up going to WCW a couple of years later. But there are some curiosities in the AWA, if you can find them. He tagged with Kurt Hennig when Kurt Hennig was cutting his teeth. Hennig was, of course, Larry Hennig's son. So he was going to be a blue chipper in AWA for as long as he wanted to be. And they did good good for each other, right? They were like sort of opposites. Hennig helped him on his in-ring work a little bit. And as we were talking about, Hall was pretty good with the character stuff. So they they were able to help each other and kind of rub off on each other quite a bit. Indeed. So Hall actually rose up to the main event ranks, and he was wrestling the likes of Stan Hansen, Rick Martell. This is stuff you can find on YouTube, folks. It's historical curiosities to the max. It's really cool styles clashes. And even at this point, he didn't really know how to work yet. He was still learning. But because he had that look, Because he knew exactly where to be and still had that sense of timing that you can't teach, he wound up being a pretty big star there for a couple of years. And there's, again, some really fun matches if you can find them. And DZ, he actually was the guy that when Hogan left, Vern Gagne wanted him to to step in and be the next Hogan guy. He was going to give him a huge push there. um, And Hall was... You know, involved in stuff uh, with Henning, like we said, he crossed paths with Jimmy Garvin, Steve Regal, Buddy Rose, Doug Summers, Boris Zukov, the Bill and Scott Irwins, the Irwins there. But I think a lot of it came down to Scott was really sort of perceptive from a business standpoint. Kind of think of the think of the timing of his jumps too, right? He jumps from the AWA because he knows they're sinking, like they're going down, and so he leaves. Then he goes to w, uh, NWA, does some okay stuff there, but then right when he's about to run out, he jumps to WWF, who then, even though it wasn't the greatest time for WWF at the time, they were actually probably the, still the better place to be than WCW then. And then when WCW gets hot, he jumps right back there, and he's the catalyst for that. So he did play a little hopscotch back and forth between the the companies when they right right when they started the peak. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the 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 big WCW jump when we get to that point because there's a, I, I, as much as I want to give credit to Scott, there are certain things like an offer you can't refuse that that could have been. A oh play yeah, there. I think it, uh, it's more we'll of a little bit of that. timing than, uh, yeah. than maybe yeah. completely intuition or whatever. But yep. it is, uh, it was uh, kind of interesting how he always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, no, it, it was. Uh, I mean, you know, Jr. brought him into WCW and obviously saw something in him that um, you know everybody else would see in the not not too distant future. Uh, he wasn't there for that long. Uh, he went overseas, went over to Japan in the very early nineties. Um, you know, wrestled with some big names over there. Um, did a good work. Did good work over there for a couple of years, um, and kind of flew under the radar from the. You know, a lot of people who just watched. WWF had no idea who this guy was and you know even when he went to WWF for the first Razor Ramon run um a lot of people you know if you just watched WWF you didn't know who the heck the guy was you know he, he looked like a new wrestler um but yeah i mean you're you're right about that he left AWA when he recognized that it was a sinking ship he jumped on the WCW train he was there for a while he wrestled with some big names uh and then he actually went over to Japan for a couple of years where he was able to cut his teeth get some more recognition uh, before coming back to WCW when he got that, uh, that run as the diamond stud, uh, which was uh, kind of a WCW version of ravishing Rick Root, I guess mm-hmm. you could call it. Yeah. The first time he came in around the late eighties to WC- NWA WCW, um, he got along well with Jim Ross there. They brought in uh Scott Hall, Pillman, and Vicious. Jim, uh, Jim was always really good with talent, man. Jim, Jim was really good at seeing talent, and he just didn't really get much of an opportunity there. I think they called him Scott Gator Hall, and he was with Randy. I don't, I don't remember this run. At Me neither. All. Me yeah, neither. I don't, remember I don't remember this part at all. Nope. He he jobbed a lot to some 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 pretty good pretty good you know it was great Muda Terry Funk. He was in a King of the Hill Battle Royal. With the with Muda, Rotunda, Sid Vicious, Ron Simmons, Butch Reed, and then he ended up. That was when he ended up going to to New Japan there in '90. So we see him team up, and uh, he's in a match against uh, Kobayashi. We see him with Bam uh, interact with Bam Bam, Nord the Barbarian, Hashimoto, and they, he was named Texas Scott, and he went over to the CWA. In he was in Germany, wrestled a little bit there. Went to Puerto Rico for the WWC, wrestled a little bit there. So he was all over the place, which was cool. That's that's how you do it. That's how you're supposed to do it. At that point, you go all over. You travel. Not only was he traveling the territories, he was traveling different countries and picking things up. So that ends up. You can tell, like we said, we didn't even remember him at this point, but you could tell all of a sudden. He shows back up now where he's the diamond stud in 1991 and Andrew, he feels like a lot more of a not completely finished product project, but he's a lot closer. Now you could see he picked up a lot of things on the way. His mannerisms are better. He's a lot conf- more confident in the ring with his character stuff and his work from being in Japan is just much better now. Yeah. Uh, this is a case where, the guy that was a raw prospect in the mid to late eighties is now really, really close to making the leap in the early nineties. Now, again, at this point, was he a tremendous worker? No, but he could more than hold his own and he carried himself like he was a big deal. And you know what? In the early nineties, that was all you needed. 
you needed somebody with timing and presence and Scott Hall checked both of those boxes. Now he did have a pretty untimely injury in the late 1991. And then after that stuff just sort of fell apart for him in WCW, though, to be fair, WCW by itself in the early nineties, you had no idea who was going to be in charge from one month to the next. And it was mm-hmm. tough even for guys that were there to get the kind of momentum and consistent booking that they needed to get. So it's really when he no came wonder. in, they were giving him a pretty good push in like early 91. He, when he was the diamond stud and he came in with DDP, uh, who was his manager. He was a big part of Darren Zocali's favorite match. Yeah. The, uh, oh, the chamber of chamber horrors. Of horrors. Yeah. He was in that match. Look at this team. It was him, Abdullah, the butcher, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley and Vader against sting El Gigante, Giant Gonzalez, and the Steiner Brothers in a Chamber of Horrors match, which was one of the all-time WrestleCraft matches. So he's in there. That sounds like a Mad Lib. Understand, it would have been better if it was a Mad Lib than people actually booking this and thinking it was a good idea. Yeah, he was in a match uh, against Ron Simmons on a a clash, and they presented him early DZ like he was going to be towards the top of the car And then Andrew kind of hit it After the injury he came back and all of a sudden Instead of being in those main event matches I mean we laugh at the Chamber of Horror matches But he's in the ring with Sting and Vader You know yeah. um, And that, and then he comes back And he, it's him and his boy Vinny Vegas And Scotty Flamingo <laughs> Yeah And before before he teamed with Vinny Vegas Who of course was Kevin Nash uh, In the fall of 91 He had another uh Tag team partner at times which was also Kevin Nash when he was The marvelous character Oz Oz yes Came out in a giant Green uh, Literally a play on like the Wizard of Oz Literally yeah and and he wore This weird goofy This is the one part about Oz I didn't get He wore a mask on the way To the ring with a gray beard Like to literally look like I guess The Wizard of Oz and then when Like the mask came off he was like this young, tall guy with blonde hair, you know, short. It was very, very strange. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was he was in the uh, the Dangerous Alliance at one point with Paulie Dangerously. Um, there's a lot of matches that you could find on uh, on YouTube uh, against uh, against Ron Simmons, um, against Chris Sullivan. Uh, there's even some stuff with with Diamond Dallas in there as well. Uh, I mean, there's some really cool stuff to find in the in the late 80s. Uh, with Scott Hall, looking at some of the stuff that he did there, but you, when, when you watch the stuff in '91, you really you start to see mm-hmm. um, the 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 bit of the not the, obviously the Razor Ramon character, but the move set, the body language, the body kind language, of. yeah, the, the work in the ring. Andrew uh, said it. You it, know the way he yeah. carried himself. He had a, a yep. much better way of carrying himself now. After just being confident But then like anything that injury comes And then the confidence goes Yep. Because you come back and they're not giving you Opportunities anymore you're not being Placed on the card so by his own I, I watched the Razor A couple of the Razor documentaries they had last night And earlier today on, on, uh, on, on Peacock On the network and by his own words He said I was calling Pat Patterson and WWF Like every day all the time for like a year, you know, trying to get a tryout, just trying to get a talk, and I would never get it, never, 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 never. And finally, it was just he got. Um, once he reached out to Kurt Hennig, his old buddy, Kurt Hennig put in a word for him, and then Pat Patterson picked up the phone, and then boom, 
they bring him in yep. and and it's like not only do they bring him in but he comes in he has like one or two dark matches they love the response that he get i think I, he got i think i saw one a parts of one of them where he's just in all black black trunks black tights but he's just just destroying some jobber just crushing some some poor some poor soul and they said oh we love you we want to sign you now let's figure out a character and he pitched the whole Tony Montana, uh, Manny Rivera sort of Scarface characters. Um, you know, the bad guy, say hello to the bad guy, the toothpick, the gold chains, the accent. Um, he actually uh, reportedly asked Tito Santana for some help with the name. So he gave him Ramon uh, so he could complete it, the name. So look at Tito always helping out uh, anytime. And uh, of course, Darren, Vince and Pat Patterson had never seen Scarface. Yeah, they were like, yeah. whoa, they thought yeah. they thought that uh, that Hall had had created this like they, they thought that he just came up with all this stuff himself. They're like, man, this guy's he's really got it. He's, he was laughing. <laughs> he's like, I'm just repeating this like the screenplay, you know, <laughs> from this those movie. Um, those 1992 vignettes before he made his debut where he's just like, you know, walking around the, the streets of Miami yeah. and just, you know. Harassing everybody, you know, driving the fancy car with the big gold chain around his neck. I think the first one, I think he's, I remember him walking. He's got like just gold chains around his neck and he's wearing like an all white suit with, with no shirt on, you know, and he's doing like the, you know, Uzin Machismo man, you know, and it's just like, who the hell is this guy? I know, you know, and then he just then, jumped off the screen. Yeah. Just yeah, and then I'm watching, and I'm like, oh wait, look, it's the diamond stud, <laughs> you know, because I would watch, you know, WCW you see it before, before, yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, all right, diamond stud, and then you know, he would say his name's Razor Ramon and whatever, and you're like, okay, you know, cool, and then he makes his debut, and he's got, you know, he wore those purple trunks with the razor blades on it, and he had that that great vest, the two colored vest with the yellow on the front and the Razor Ramon on the back, just just a tremendous look. And played the part of a heel coming right off the blocks, just spectacular. And obviously, they saw the potential in him because, like you said, his first assignment was going into a storyline with Ric Flair, with originally the Ultimate Warrior and Macho Mm -hmm. Man Randy Savage. But look at the three guys I just talked about. I mean, you know, three of the WWF champions of the last 18 months. Welcome to the WWF, Scott Hall. You're in a program with those three guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, uh, Andrew, he was in a program, you know, like we said, not long before uh, with Sting and Vader, two of the uh, the highly regarded NWA WCW. I think he debuted August 8th on Superstars, and he had a couple squashes, and it was a month later, that episode of Primetime Wrestling, September the 14th, he interfered in the WWF Championship match, Randy Savage and Ric Flair, which was a, a rematch, and this was where... Savage ends up losing the title back to Flair. Yeah, uh, there's a lot going on here at this point. And that was really the theme of the Razor character at this point. There was a lot going on with this guy. And what I loved in his earlier matches, this always got me, always, was he'd come to the ring wearing all the gold chains and the vest and whatnot. He'd take the chains off. He'd give them to somebody at ringside whether it's the timekeeper or some attendant somewhere, whatever, 
he'd look straight into their eyes, into their souls almost. I'm going to apologize in advance because my razor is horrible. But he says, something happens to this, something happens to you. Yeah. Like the little things. Whoa. And also at the time, usually when he did that, he was in the ring and the camera was straight up looking at him. It was one of the few times you understood how tall Razor Ramon was and his presence and the way about him and whatnot. It was the land of the giants and he fit. The other great trivia question about his early run, his first WWF match was on a taping of superstars. He defeated an enhancement talent by the name of Paul Van Dale. And I did not know this at all whatsoever until we started researching here. That's Carmella's father. Wow. How a weird, yeah, really small yeah. like world. That's so just crazy. I never knew Carmella was second generation, but apparently wow. she is. Wow. So he's, yeah, I mean, he's thrusted right into uh, the main event, the main event storyline of Summer of Survivor Series 1992, which uh, is a show that we have uh, taken a look at, which is a good show. It actually, this this match ends up being in the middle of the card, and the main event is one of the the early matches between Brett and Sean, uh, where it was a uh, IC champ Sean versus w, WWF champ Brett. So, I mean, he's teaming with Flair against Savage and supposed to be Ultimate Warrior. Then Ultimate Warrior. Has a, another one of his incidents So Ultimate Warrior ends up You know getting released from the company So Mr. Perfect Steps in so now he gets to go On opposite sides from his old buddy He The best thing about this entire run up Was Razor whenever he would do a program And you Perfecto Perfecto man <laughs> He would call him perfecto It was so it was, good It was hey, hey, you... Chico Perfecto The Razor is going to carve you, you up. up. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and then good. spit the toothpick out. And yep. just, yep. It was effortless. So he's he's in the match in '92 Survivor Series in that tag, and and from there, he, I mean, he goes right into uh, a main event match at the Royal Rumble against Bret Hart. So that match was initially slotted for the Ultimate Warrior. It was supposed to be Bret versus Warrior. There, Warrior's not around. It was going to be, I think, one of those. Uh, they, had, they had options, right? Did they want to put Brett over, or was Brett just going to be the transitional guy? Give it back to Warrior if he was going to be your guy to run with. But now Warrior's not there. You're going to run with Brett for a little bit. So you look around. You got this new great heel, and I think yeah, they have a really good, like, underrated really good match, match really at the Royal match. Rumble. Yep. People forget about that one. And like we said, DZ, this was the first. Like his first real singles feud He's in the title picture He loses So, But you think oh, Okay I mean this guy's going to be like a perennial Top tier yep. title contender And he was always a big part of the shows Everything Early Monday Night Raws He always had a spot on pay-per-views When you think about the Manias and the SummerSlams and, and all the big events around that time period He was always on the shows Like you said Probably wrestling for the IC title Or defending it it's just so crazy that he never got back to even having another random match. Not one with Sean, not one with Diesel when they had the title with their their buddies. It's not as yeah. if he was getting blackballed by them or anything. Which I mean, he he might have been in a match on a house show. I, I would have no idea. Yeah, but um, never at like a never on TV. T- a TV nope. show. Yeah, nope, not even on a Raw. Nothing. Nope, hundred percent correct. So that's that's just and that's why we talk about him as a 
being one of the greats too because he did always feel like a top top level guy just was like never the guy never pushed again to be the guy and andrew so a lot of the early monday night raw stuff that's where i really remember him those the first couple years of raw right with you remember the the stuff with the one two three kid is the one i think that people really got a fond uh memories of because that was a big deal for the one, two, three kid, but it was great for Razor. We saw some personality from him, and then that sort of got the fans to actually kind of turn him. It was one of the maybe the earlier times of like the fans really getting behind a heel right around that storyline, that angle, and then his match at WrestleMania with Bob Backlund, which is so weird to think about it. You know, it was just like yeah. such, a, such a weird pairing for that WrestleMania, but the fans started to get behind him as this kind of cool heel. You know, he was just a cool dude. Yeah, and it's not like there was a lot of difference between heel razor and face razor. It was the same guy. It was just he was doing it to either baby faces or heels. Who he was booked and against. The the gimmick worked and it was fantastic. He did that stuff with the one, two, three kid that elevated this kid who was maybe five foot eight and hundred and forty pounds soaking wet and helped turn him into a star and then he starts doing the stuff with DiBiase which is DiBiase's last real run as a worker in WWF his last match is putting Razor over that's another fun little trivia question and then Razor's established as this made guy either face or heel and he winds up going to the Intercontinental Championship level and look he was fantastic in that role We're going to talk ad nauseum about the ladder matches he had with Sean, about some of the other matches that he had, and he was fantastic in that role. But the more we're talking about him, about how good he was, about how over he was, anything you want, you're just like, why did this guy never at least get a run on top, even for a couple of weeks? I know. It's like the transitional guy at one point, you know? Just give him the moment. And look, admittedly, from an in-ring perspective, the voice that you're hearing right now is of someone who is as critical of Yokozuna as anybody. But when the only advantage Yoko had over Razor at this point was Yoko was really fat, they missed the boat here. Yeah, this was this would have been sort of the period right here too. It was nine, uh, end of '93. DZ, actually, I loved this. They had the Battle Royal on Monday Night Raw. And then the final two were going to get a chance to to wrestle for the Intercontinental Championship, which was just suspended from Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels uh, acting up again. Oh, stop me if you've heard that one before. But uh, they needed a new champ. So a different sort of type of battle royal that we see from WWF. But I liked it. I liked the idea of the final two guys. And then they're going to have their match next week. And they had a really good match. Rick Martell and Razor had a great one. I mean, if you look up. A lot of the lists that people would make of Razor's best matches, that's probably on it towards the, you know, five below five, between five and ten. It was very good. And now he's the champ. Uh, he's the Intercontinental champ. And, you know, that's where he was going to be for, like, all of 94, all of 95, and the early part of 96, up until he left. Yeah, and I remember, I remember the match well. Um you know, it was uh, I, it was a raw. Uh, but what was it? October of uh, October fourth. Yep, October ninety three. Yeah, 
Um, it was just a, it was a really good wrestling match. It, it told a good story. Um, you know, Martel did a lot of selling in there, making Razor look good, like, like, you know, a strong baby face. Um, you know, the match went back and forth. There were some rest holds in it, but, uh, for the most part, it was just, uh, it was just a really good wrestling match. And Martel was known for that at the time. He had a lot of good matches with, with baby face talent where he would, he would be in a position that he could make them look really good uh, throughout the match from start to finish. And it wasn't a short match either. If I remember, I think they went a long time. I know Martel Mm -hmm. had a Boston crab spot in it. It looked like he had razor beat uh, a few times. Then when razor makes that, that last run, you know, at the end of the match, um, you know, the, the, the crowd is just when he gets him up for the razor's edge, you know, everyone stands up. It's a great spot. Everyone's up off their feet. You hear the place pop, the one, two, three, and the place, you know, and, and I remember Hefner gives it that real slow count, you know, like when you know someone's going to win, you know, the one, two, three, you know, Razor yeah. kind of throws his hands up in the air. Um, and it, it, it was just a really, it was a really cool moment that you could see meant something to him. And that speaks to Andrew's point. You know, everything would have meant something to him. Now, listen, the guy was one of the greatest intercontinental champions over a two and a half year period back and forth that the company has ever seen. Um, it's just unfortunate that Vince made the decision. Listen, you know, I mean, Razor went to him and said, where do you see me going? And Vince's answer was, I see you being right exactly where you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that obviously look for anybody. In a in a profession, it's an ego career. thing, man. We're all human, and well, it's, 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 yeah, it's ego, but at the same time, it's a, it's a respect it, thing too, in your, right? In your in your profession, you know, it's you, you do a job, and at some point, you do a job well enough, and opportunities present themselves. You know, you feel that you've deserved a, a chance to to reach a different level within the company that you're working for. And professional mm-hmm. wrestling is no different. I don't think anybody could argue in 1995 that Razor Ramon was not one of the guys who should have been in a heavyweight championship. Instead pick. of maybe a Mabel, you know yeah. what I mean? Like how much better would that? I mean, he's in a great match on SummerSlam 95 with Sean, but around that time, it would have made a whole lot more sense. In 94, he ends up, you know, we'll talk in a second. We'll get there. He, he beats Diesel at SummerSlam for the title in their back and forth. But Andrew, before we get there, it, there's this perfectly set up, Already built storyline when Shawn Michaels returns because Shawn Michaels never lost the IC title. So he's claiming that he's the real IC champ. Razor, we all saw on Monday Night Raw win that IC champ championship. So we know that he is the legit IC champ. So there's only one thing to do they have a match and they have to, uh, to see who's going to be the undisputed intercontinental champion. And for the first real time on I think TV or a pay per view in WWF, we saw a ladder match. Now, Brett oh, and Sean a, had one. The first on time that. it ever happened. If it never happened on TV, it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Happened. And we we <laughs> know years later that we would see Brett and Sean had one on, yeah. that ended up being on a Coliseum home video. It was on a Brett house show. Still, Brett is still salty about this. Thing. Yeah. Cause he's Brett is salty him. over something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I brought the thing over. He, he saw it, the match, or he was introduced to the match in Stampede. And so he kind of brought the brought the idea of the match over. Him and Sean did it on the house show a little bit. But to be fair, the storyline was perfect for this. It it fits yeah. so well with the two belts. You hang them up and you see who's going to do it. And Andrew, 
and Darren will definitely give you plenty of time to talk about this too because I know you were uh, you were there. But this was one of those like game changer matches because Razor was good in the ring and he had just continued to improve every now and then. But he goes out there, he has this match with Sean. Both of both of the guys who weren't established main eventers, they were the top of the middle of the card, no doubt about it. But just on that level, right below being in the main event. And these two guys end up having the best match that they've ever had in their career at that point, and one of the best matches they ever have in their career. This ended up being the PWI match of the year in '94, and it was the first match that Dave Meltzer ever gave a, a five star rating from for WWE. I think it was ranked like number five in the all time WrestleMania matches uh, when the la- last time I looked in in the last few years. I think it was behind uh, Brett Sean. Taker, uh, Steamboat, Savage, Brett Austin, or, or and Brett Austin. I think I, Brett Austin's for sure there. Steamboat Savage for sure there. Taker, Sean for sure there. And I think there was one more. Uh, it was like it was fourth or fifth. So yeah, um, this thing was great, and this one really started to change the game a little bit, Andrew. When we think about all the the ladder matches and the tables, ladders, and chairs matches, and all the different. Money in the Bank matches and the TNA X Division matches and the uh, I mean everybody does some form of a ladder match now. Yeah, um, it's a little easier to say this now than it was when the book came out. But Ric Flair in his book put forth a pretty scathing criticism of Scott Hall that basically said Sean had that match with the ladder and Scott Hall just happened to be there. Knowing what we know now about Ric Flair and his tendency to go after people for opinions bordering on ridiculous, it's a little easier to say that that's crap. Scott Hall more than held up his end of the bargain there. Now, was he the kind of worker Sean was? No, but he could be carried. And look, that's all you need is to be in there with the right dance partner, with the right storyline, in the right setting. Characters, conflict, and setting. That's the mark of every story. These guys had it, and they played it perfectly. Now, Brett is still salty over not only not getting the credit for the prior ladder matches, but Sean actually stole a spot that Brett had asked them not to do, and naturally, Brett remembered every detail <laughs> in so his book. Look, guys, I <laughs> love Brett, but, but it's so the two of them. He doesn't like, make it easy on himself sometimes. He should, um, but- it's just great. It's like, and that's so yeah. Sean at the time too. Like Sean, yep. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. take this. Now yeah. this just... match is this match is fantastic. They'd have another ladder match that's fantastic. It's just a case of two guys meshing so well on a lot of different levels. They were friends. They were both click guys. They also both engaged in some less than savory stuff outside the ring, oh, as yeah. uh, the E60 uh, little bit that we mentioned earlier will say. There were times where they would just get sky high on a whole bunch of different pills and see if it killed them. And it's not exactly a fun time. And again, it spotlights the redemption that both Hall and HBK had in their later years because. For as good as they were in the ring, outside the ring, they were burning the candle at both ends, and they were doing so pretty quick. DZ, you've told the story a, a couple times about um, seeing this with your dad, and your dad just yeah. being wowed by this match. Yeah, I, this was the the one thing that that still like rings in my ear 
and, and obviously a lot of people have been to different pay-per-views now with, with ladders. So maybe the appreciation of it has waned somewhat because we've seen it so many times now. But 99.9% of the people in that crowd had never seen a ladder match live. And we really didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if it was just, you know, I, I guess you just kind of thought that someone was going to go at some point, get the ladder and just climb the thing and get the title. I don't think a lot of us, my friends and I included, and, and I'm sure my dad, didn't realize that the ladder was going to be used as a weapon. It didn't like register right away. No, you wouldn't even and, think of it like that, right? You just right. don't even. I mean, because yeah. you'd never seen the match before. I, I had never seen a ladder match before. Uh, you know, being nine years old, I would watch whatever was available on WCW and WWF and on television, there was no ladder matches. Um, and if the first time that there was a spot with the ladder was when Razor went to bring it to the ring, Sean was in the ring and Razor sets it on the ring apron and Sean goes off the ropes and does kind of a sliding kick into the ladder. The sound of that ladder hitting Razor in the, the torso I I can't explain to you how loud it was. And I remember just like trying to understand how he didn't have six broken ribs. And from there, every single move, whether it be the splash off the top or the drop kick and they fall. At one point, the ladder, I, I fell onto Razor. I don't think it was supposed to. If I to. may jump in here really yeah. quickly. Yeah, go ahead. You keep saying it. The ladder. The yeah. ladder. One yeah. ladder. If that ladder breaks, the match is hosed. Try yeah. to imagine a ladder match being done now with just one ladder. You That's can't exactly. do it. Can't no. do it. No, you're 100% right. Um, but yeah, I, I remember after the match, uh, like I've, I've said before, my, my father looked at me and said, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, and he meant it, you know, in person. He, he The athleticism, uh, the story that they told, you know, for a nine-year-old kid believing what he was watching was a real fight. Um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was incredible to watch uh, in person. And uh, I, it was, it's truly one of the highlights of my wrestling fandom to have been blessed to have been in that arena that night for not just a, a great match, but a great WrestleMania. But uh, yeah, I, I completely take exception to Ric Flair, what he said there. Yeah, listen. Did Sean do the majority of the work with the ladder? Absolutely. He did well, the majority. Because he's a smaller guy that's taking yeah. a lot of the bumps too, you know? Exactly, yeah, exactly. But it's not as if he was in there working, you know, with, with a stiff piece of cardboard that didn't partake in what was going on. No. Raz Razor sold when he had a sold. He had a sell. He took bumps off the ladder as well. And he didn't make mistakes. He didn't make it look goofy. He didn't make it look choppy. He more than held his end of the bargain. So... You know, that's one of those times where Ric Flair is better off just, you know, being quiet rather mm -hmm. than, you know, b making an ass out of himself and putting his foot in his mouth. Because I, I and and by the way, the, the true testament to how good these two were with this match and, and Andrew touched on it, they would do it again mm -hmm. at SummerSlam 95. Was it as good? Probably not. But it was good. It was good. It's the difference between a five star match and a four and a half star match. That's exactly mm -hmm. correct. And you can argue if WrestleMania 10 never happened, we wouldn't even have realized match would have been looked at as a five star. You're match. right. Cause it was yeah, just, sure. it, yeah. and the, the roles were slightly different there. Sean was yeah. a baby face, I think. And razor was sort of playing a little bit more heelish 
at the time, but he wasn't really a heel. So it was the dynamic was probably not quite as strong as the pure babyface heel going for it mania first time we've seen that, and that was and all. Then, I think. By the way, it, it, it's also worth mentioning that back then, when you're talking about a period of time where yeah, King of the Ring existed, but you know you're still at the, at a point in the time where it's like really the four big pay per views are it. You know, Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, WrestleMania at this point, and it's still to this day. You know, on a mountain by itself, but they have so many other pay per views now that things obviously get watered down somewhat. But perfect example: we're going to be two weeks away from WrestleMania this year, and we still don't know who Seth Rollins' opponent is going to be. So and they keep teasing us with the Cody Rhodes us. stuff. Well, they kept saying nightmare. I actually, I actually did read something that said they might have pushed it back from this past Raw to next week because of the Scott Hall stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, I read possible. something along right. the lines of that, which that which would is make cool. sense. It, which right. is cool if they did, if that was a decision that they right. made. And um, but yeah, it does seem two but weeks even, out, right? But even even if they didn't, it would it would have been a story beginning three weeks before WrestleMania, which is just the way it works now because you can't carry storylines over six months because you have to carry it through six pay per views, which is impossible. So back then, the fact that it was WrestleMania, the fact that it was Madison Square Garden automatically puts it on a different level from any other show that you're going to have. And the fact that they delivered the match that they did in the greatest arena in the world at the time, in the greatest spotlight of wrestling, um, put it on, on, on its own Mount Rushmore. And anywhere you want to put this match in the top five matches of WrestleMania uh, history, I will never argue with anybody who has it first, second, third, fourth, fifth. We then... Get the feud between Razor and Sean shifting a little bit to Razor and Diesel. Diesel actually wins the Intercontinental Championship from Razor uh, in just about a month after WrestleMania. And then they go back and forth a little bit. At SummerSlam 94, Walter Payton is there in this the corner cool. of Razor Ramon. And we talked about this. This was fun because Walter Payton and Sean are outside the ring doing a lot. Like Sean's going crazy, he's running all over the place. Diesel Nash is still quite not quite ready, but Razor's doing a really good job. The crowd's super into it. There's a lot of heat for it. And Andrew, it always it always shows you how comfortable Vince is with someone when they pair them with the celebrity that comes in. It, you yeah. Just like they right, they're over and they're comfortable with them as being like a really solid worker and someone on their roster on the card that they trust. Yep, and there's a great story about this match. Uh, Walter Payton comes in, and look, anybody that's ever dealt with Walter Payton will tell you he was a first-class individual who put himself all in in whatever he did. He was a fan of the product, and he was into everything. There was a story after the show where Walter Payton was hanging out, and he go and Scott Hall asked him for a Bears jersey, and Payton goes, "Yeah, sure, but I want one of those cool Razor shirts, like." Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Like yeah. easy. I'm going to go to the, you know, the, the WWF shop and you know, grab something <laughs> that fits. I'm going to get this autographed Jersey by arguably the greatest running back in the history of the game. Um, it was really, a really cool. cool right? match. We've, we've, we've watched this match before it's good stuff. And again, it shows how much Scott Hall was trusted in one sense, but in the other sense, if you're trusting him to do this stuff, I know it's what's weird. preventing you from pushing just him just the a next little step. further? 
it's so weird because he never felt like he was someone that was getting buried. He was never off the card. He he was never someone who fell out of favor with Vince even during his time. He was just permanently slotted here in that spot. And DZ that match was fun. We've talked about it. And then uh, that'll that'll go from there to Survivor Series, where uh, so you could talk a little bit about that match, and then Survivor Series, which there was a cool team. They were the bad guys. It was him, the one, two, three kid, the British Bulldog, and the Head Shrinkers, and they faced the Teamsters: Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Owen Hart, Jim the Anvil, and Jeff Jarrett, and sort of that sort of started to lead into his feud with Jarrett. Yeah, and. Uh... I back then I I well I never liked Jeff Jarrett as a wrestler. Just he annoyed the hell out of me. I couldn't stand the gimmick. Drove me crazy. Uh, his little strut I thought was a was a cheap knockoff of Flair. Um, I hated the the stupid country music character. Spent so, my days working yeah. hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. That was so, such a bad gimmick. But I but mm-hmm. I know I I will say. The fondest memories I have of Jeff Jarrett are of Razor Ramon matches. Yeah. Well, they, they feuded for quite some time. They went back and forth Good for chemistry five, six too, months. These two guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, the, the Royal Rumble match ended in, in controversy. I remember uh, Razor won by uh, by countout. And I think he, some, I forgot, I think he told the ref to restart the match. Whenever you do that, it's a bad sign. Then he ends up losing. Uh, you know, to Jarrett, they kind of went back and forth a couple of times. That's when the roadie came in, uh, roadie, the road yeah. dog debuted, yeah. and he was in the, the the corner of uh Jarrett, kind of helping him be the Weasley heel. Yeah, so they, yeah, I, they made some weird decisions too. Like like they fought at Mania, Razor didn't win the title because like now Mania is like typically well, it's not always, but typically in a spot like this, it, it's where you end a feud. Um. They kept it going. Like he would win by DQ and they would keep feuding. They were having ladder matches on, on house shows and switching titles back and forth on house shows. Imagine that. Imagine that in 2022. You know, every every three nights, titles going back and forth on house shows. Um, yeah. you know, kind of wild. And then things went a little bit sideways for him. He got hurt. He ended up in some tag uh situations with like Savio Vega and this is mm-hmm. when things kind of got a little bit goofy for him. Yeah, this is probably what there. started leading him to get to maybe some frustration. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this was the point where he sort of looked around and he's like, ah, where am I getting slotted? My buddies, Sean and Diesel, they continue to get their big pushes. You know, Sean um why why am I not really getting there? And it was almost kind of he wasn't really in a feud with Sean. Like you said, he was in a tag situation. I think what was it supposed to be? They, yeah, he just kind of got slotted in uh, when when Sean was the IC champ um, at SummerSlam '95. I think it was just a one of those like, oh, okay, let's let's see what we can do. Let's let's find a nice way to get Sean his win back, put him over because they were sort of on the way to start building Sean to be the next guy. Yeah, yep, I, I, he was well on his way to that, and 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 it's got to be tough. I mean. You know, Razor is is kind of uh, at this point becoming close with them personally, and to see these guys getting pushed to the moon, and you're kind of stuck in neutral, um, you can start to see why you know maybe the wheels in his head started turning about where his role is in this company going forward, and you know what would lead to eventually him you know leaving about a year later. Yep, that's for sure. And also, let's not forget at this point. 
Scott Hall's 38 years old. He's not young. And it's a case where he's already been in the business a little more than 10 years. Everybody's got a bump card. So in his mind, most likely the next contract he signs, I want might a big well one. wind up being his last one. So mm-hmm. he goes to Vince in early 96. Now he had had a couple of things going on at that point. He had a suspension for drug use that wound up sidelining him for WrestleMania making way for the Roddy Piper gold dust stuff, which was just deeply bizarre on another level. And he was but, also kind of weird with he the, the working with gold dust. Like yeah. he was very weird about the working with the character. <laughs> and and I think Dustin Rhodes was like kind of mess with him even more, yep. you know, because yep. he knew that he didn't like it. So Dustin Rhodes would smack him on the ass and kiss him and do all the things that Scott was kind of being really homophobic about. Yeah. And, um, So he goes to Vince at some point in the spring of 96 and says, Vince, listen, I know my contract is coming up. Is there anything that I can do better to potentially improve my standing in the company? Vince goes, no. Scott Hall goes, okay. Is there anything that I can do to potentially get a little bit more money? And Vince wasn't in the position to give raises at that time by his, his logic was that business wasn't all that great at that point. And in his words, he gave opportunities at that point. We can all roll our eyes in unison at that one, right? But that ultimately causes him to start negotiating with WCW. He winds up agreeing to terms with WCW, and that leads to the curtain call incident, which I know we're all looking forward to talking about. Yeah, so that was uh, they were part of the clique, and um, when... Razor and Diesel, so Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had already agreed to leave WWF. They knew they were going to WCW. It was the last event they were working DZ. It was at a house show at MSG, and it was the curtain call because they were in a tag match where it was like always you got the good guys against the bad guys. But following the match, all of them broke character, they gave each other a hug. They kind of all celebrated together with the crowd, which would basically be like the characters in a movie you were watching just go rogue and decide (laughs) that they weren't those characters anymore. Now, it wasn't on television, and this was right before the internet was really able to catch this, but there were videos of it from some some people that were able to, uh, to, to spot it, and this ended up being a really big deal because this sort of changed a... The course of history a little bit at the time Triple H, Paul Levesque was set For a big push and Shawn Michaels was the current champ When Kevin Nash and Scott Hall left They were gone, they couldn't get punished Shawn Michaels was the champ Vince loved him, he wasn't really going to punish him So the one guy who could take the brunt of it Was Triple H, it's really funny to think about now That Triple H was the guy who got thrown under the bus uh, Knowing what, what has happened since then But he ended up not being the uh, the king of the ring at the time They gave that to Stone Cold And uh, history was changed But Hall and Nash are out And they head to WCW So things weren't Pretty really for Scott who had Man when you think about it A really smooth from like 92 To 90 Like middle of 95 I, I know the guy behind the scenes Had some issues and stuff but we didn't He didn't miss a whole lot He was Pretty consistently there And then towards the end the the wheels just kind of started To fall off for him and with him it's always Like what's going on Behind closed doors too 
Well, yeah. also, just that, that's a credit to WWF at the time because they ran a much tighter ship Absolutely. than WCW did. Yep. And we found that out in the late 1990s when stories started leaking about what Hall, Nash, and a couple other people were getting away with on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I understand why this bothered the people in WWF talking about the curtain call. Um, obviously in, in today's world, um, well, you can argue, you can argue that it would be worse because of the internet, but at the same time, guys break characters now all the time at house shows. I mean, Roman Reigns the other night gave a very, uh, heartfelt speech to the crowd, much like a baby face would at the end of a house show talking about how good it was to be home in Pensacola, Florida, uh, and he turned it around and instead of saying, you know, Pensacola, acknowledge me, uh, we acknowledge you, Pensacola. You know, that's, you know, so so these things, these curtain calls now kind of happen pretty regularly at house shows. Um, and it's kind of funny that at a time where the Internet is in its infancy, forget about the Internet being its, in its infancies, you know, watching videos online where nearly impossible because you would literally need to wait 45 minutes for a video to load. If there was anything, you know, to try to play. Uh, and I remember when Scott showed up at WCW, which is where we're going to be heading next. I had, I, I remember watching that legitimately thinking that a WWF wrestler 100%. was taking over the, the show. 100%. On WCW. And, and, um, so for as much as we give them crap about the production stuff and the way that WCW was run with a lot of things, man, everything about it when he came in initially was just perfect with they didn't use the names, they didn't yeah. call him Razor or they didn't call him by his name at all. They just said, Who is, oh, we he said you had to, you know, you don't I know you don't know why I'm here, but you know, I know you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. And it was all like really, really well done. All that early stuff. Yeah. No, it was, it was, and and but but speaking back, you know, to the curtain call, I, I don't remember. I mean, I was going on thirteen at the time, so you know, if you want to talk about the water cooler talk in a, in a junior high school, we used to talk about wrestling every day in high in junior high. Nobody ever talked about this. There was nothing like that got out to the kids no, our age. I don't remember we were about hearing, it at all. Yeah, we were hearing about. The, did you hear what happened at, at Madison Square Garden at the house show where? Kevin Nash uh, or, or where Diesel and Sean and Triple H and Razor were hugging in, in the ring together. Like, what's that about? The two of them are bad guys. Like, I never had a conversation like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the punishment to Triple H was probably an overreaction. Um, I think it was probably more a hurt Vince McMahon knowing that Nash and Hall were leaving and taking out his frustration on the only person that he could. Um, in, in what I thought was probably a bit of a reckless fashion, but, uh, yeah, I, I can imagine that those at the arena that night were probably pretty taken aback by it. And, um, and it's funny because I didn't, I didn't go to this show because a few days before I saw this same match at the continental airlines arena. Um, this is when Sean was in the program with, with Diesel and they were doing these these cage matches for the for the WWF championship. And I actually went to the show a few days earlier at, at the Continental Airlines Arena. So I, I I didn't get to see the curtain call. I probably saw the match before the curtain call. 
So yeah. Andrew, before we head to WCW, anything else to mention about the uh, the uh, major run in WWF? I mean, I think we pretty much hit on a lot of different things. This was a guy who proved that he could do pretty much anything with anybody at that point, especially if he was clean and sober. And you'll look at some of the matches that he had. There's so many hidden gems. You remember the two matches with Sean, but the SummerSlam match with Walter Payton at ringside was really good. Mm -hmm. The stuff with the one, two, three kid has aged beautifully and is an example of how you get somebody over that doesn't necessarily look like a star. Were there some duds? Yes. We need to bring up the crybaby match that he had with the one, two, three kid where the loser wore a diaper. That was a low point. It's a low point that thankfully WWE has not repeated since, but there was so much good stuff here that if he had gone to WCW and the NWO angle hadn't panned out, he could have come back to WWF at the end of that first contract had a legitimate run at the top of the card and nobody would have been surprised. That's how good he was. Yeah. Hell he left and they created the fake diesel and fake razor Ramon characters for these guys would of course become Kane. And and that was Kane. And so there was a, there was literally a fake version of razor Ramon because they owned that character while Scott Hall was wrestling in WCW. So they, uh, they always loved, Razor Ramon in that character but just not quite Enough to give him the little bit more Push that he would have needed to stay They they both say and I believe Both Nash and Hall that they Didn't want to go but man it's The money and the push that was the combination Of things well, it was, was saying, also it was also the Days the I mean guaranteed I, I, money yeah, For less dates yeah he was working I mean you know back then I mean Still they work a lot but back it's Not it's not as much now as it was then Back then, these guys were working, you know, 280, 300 days a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, to be offered, I don't know if it was more money or if it was, I I forget. Or like the same amount of money, but for half of the dates. It was was something like it was like a little bit more or might it might have been substantially more. I don't remember exactly, but it was it was it was literally for like 100 days of work. So I don't know. You know, I work for Churchill Downs at the New York Racing Association. Call me up tomorrow and say, hey, Darren. You're currently working uh, 260 days a year. You know, we'll give you a 10% raise and you could work uh, a you know, hundred days a year. Yeah. Was, yeah. All uh, right. Sure. <laughs> Sign me up. I was gonna, sure. no, everybody, everybody's looking at doing that. And if and, I may channel the smartest man in the history of professional wrestling, his friend, Kevin Nash, yep. there are only two things that matter, the money and the miles. And look, it wasn't just the initial deal. That he and Nash signed, it was the favored nations clause, wherein if anyone came in and made more money than they did, Nash and Hall each got a pay bump. And that wound up coming in very, very handy and making both guys a lot of money. So we've talked a lot about the early stages of the NWO. We reviewed the Bash at the Beach show, but when they come in and Bam, he's treated sort of like what he wanted. He's in the main event, like right off the bat. Yep. Right off the bat. Yep. Too. You come into the right new in place. The with Bischoff. Yep, right away. Boom. It's like the him and Nash throw Bischoff. I think Scott Hall shows up. Then two weeks later, Nash shows up. And then a week or two later, they're power bombing Bischoff off the entranceway. And things and, 
and as a kid, you didn't you didn't know what was going on. No, I remember, I remember watching. This was real, man. Yeah, I was watching this, and then I would go. I would I would be waiting for somebody from WCW to show up on like Monday Night Raw. Like I was waiting for them to return the favor. To yeah, see, like the uh, story to continue. You were like, yeah. they gotta be. Those are WWF guys. So what's yeah. gonna happen next? You know, yeah. like I mean, like that. Like I I thought somebody was gonna show up on, on raw and, and and do the same thing like I, I didn't understand at that time being 13 years old that these guys left the company and were now employed by wcw and and they played it perfectly you know you want a war you got a war you know and nash showed up and said this is where the big boys play huh you know uh the, the measuring stick just went up around here you're looking at it you know and, and you just believed that these two big stars from wwf got tired of whatever Bischoff had been saying and whatever he'd been doing and said, okay, you want to talk about us? We're just going to show up on your show and beat the crap out of you. And man, was it a believable angle? It really was. Side note, by the way, if you're only familiar with WCW from bash at the beach, 96 onward, do yourself a favor, take three hours and watch the 96 great American bash. It is an absolutely fantastic show. You get, that segment that we've mentioned, you get one of Sting's last great matches for, my goodness, almost two years. You get one of the great celebrity matches of all time with Kevin Green and Mongo McMichael. And you get the debut of one Rey Mysterio Jr. against Dean Malenko. It's one of my favorite all-time shows, and the Hall Nash-Bischoff segment's a big part of that. Yep, we uh, we deep dive that show also. So it, yeah, it's in the archives for That's What G Said. And... Then it's the moment. It's the bash at the beach where it's the six man tag. The outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, claim that they have a third partner. There's a third man and they're going to take over. Nobody knows who it is. And it, it's easy right now to look back and think, oh, well, of course, it's Hulk Hogan, of course. But you got to, no, at the time period, it. but never at the time period too, Hulk Hogan was sort of like out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. He wasn't. He had been doing some TV stuff. He, when he went over to WCW right off the bat, there was a big splash. And then Hogan, he didn't get the reception from those fans because Hogan was always the the opposing team's guy. Like those Southern fans, the the WCW hardcores, they hated a Hulk Hogan. He was the New York WWF. He was the opposing team's guy. They laughed. Their guy was Ric Flair. Their guy was better. Their guy was a better in-ring worker. They they had a different style than what Hogan did. So these people really didn't love Hogan. And so he was kind of cold. He was still a star. Obviously, his name was the biggest name in, in wrestling history. He still had that star power, but they just he wasn't really involved in anything that was intriguing. And like like Hogan would, DZ, he got sort of talked into this a little bit, but he could kind of smell like, uh-oh. This might be big. I gotta get myself in here some way. I gotta, I gotta insert myself into oh, this. Oh, for the love of it's God, some way, shape, or stop. Or he, some way, was shape the, or he was the only guy this could have worked with. Oh we no, need to I don't point that out. I don't. I think <laughs> him the from a the outsiders for sure. Totally agree. Um, when they got to the third, those two guys were working fine before they even mentioned a third. Oh well, sure, I'm gonna, understood. I'm gonna raise. I'm gonna raise a question though. Is it really the only guy it could have worked with? Randy, uh, maybe, or no, Sting no, no. would have been the one. There, there's another. There's that's another the one. Sting. That's, I mean, yeah. I, well, I mean, 
you're taking the approach of these guys are invading WCW. Warrior, right? maybe. But the the question for for me, the question is if they're invading WCW, can't a guy that has been a lifer in NWA WCW be the one to flip? Be the one that like like flare or stand. And I'm not saying it and listen, I'm not saying in hindsight that it would have worked as well, of course. But I don't think it's the only one it could have worked with. I mean, I at can't that, that... too, Warrior wouldn't have been a great option, but it would have. It still makes sense when you have the those guys. He was a big enough name. Sting was the one, and Randy to me were the. I think the like Luger because he came in in the back and forth, but Luger was Luger. The fans had a weird relationship with Luger too. Like they, he was over sometimes, and then not. It wasn't like they like loved him, but they they liked him. So I think one of those guys. Like Sting would have worked. It would have worked from an impact standpoint, but Sting wouldn't have been able to sort of carry the ball the way Hogan did. No, after. yeah, I and that's that. the thing. Yeah. I mean, look, you're talking about if things could have worked in storyline, and that's completely fine, and I understand that. If it's anyone other than Hogan, WCW doesn't win the ratings war 83 straight weeks. It just doesn't happen. No. No, it was the shock, the name of Hogan, the shock of him being the. And like, I don't want to go base. too far down this no, rabbit no. hole because it's a Scott Hall thing. No, but no, but it, it's it all really relevant. It's a case yeah. where you have this perfect mix of three guys. You have Scott Hall, who is so flexible and so malleable and would be the guy that would wind up selling of those three. You have Kevin Nash, the big seven foot monster. And then you have the guy who's the biggest star on the planet who hides behind those two guys. And to get to him, you've got to go through the first two. It worked. It worked perfectly. Would it have worked if Hall wasn't there? I don't know. So we get to now the the tag team. They're the outsiders. And it's Nash and Hall basically going on um, about a year or so where they kind of go back and forth winning and losing the tag team titles. They're in the NWO. The NWO just continues to build and stack. We get what the giant, we get Ted DiBiase, we get six, X Pac all end up joining. Outsiders are uh, in tag matches against Sting and Lex Luger. They're in a War Games match. We got, they got stuff with Harlem Heat. And some of these matches are good. Some of these are, are solid matches. Uh, they got stuff with the Nasty Boys, um, back and forth with the Faces of Fear, and then they get into a, a ton of stuff with the Steiner Brothers for a while. They go over to New Japan. Um, so they're they're actually working still a good amount here. This is before, you know, I still think of 97 being pretty good and the NWO being pretty, working pretty well. And these guys still were like, Putting in their effort in the ring And then it felt like about 98, 99 Was when things sort of flipped for Like early wow. 98, middle of it, middle of 98 I'd it say got, you know? It got wonky where you literally couldn't keep track Of who was with who anymore Everybody, we're bringing yeah. in Vincent We're bringing in people that are not on the card Never on the card And there's and 15 the or 20 in the ring pack, You know, Who's in the wolf pack, who's in the regular NWO These guys are switching There's a Lucha world I, order Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't I, 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 It literally got to the point where I found myself like forgetting who was with who and having to think too much. And when you have to think too much in wrestling, that's when you have a problem. Yeah, for sure. And some of this was due to the lack of management that was backstage. Uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had those contracts. 
there were creative control clauses to where everybody had to be protected. And if everyone's protected, nobody's protected, right? And that was the one criticism that I had of Hall and Nash before everything went south. They had that run with the Steiner brothers that seemed to last forever. The Steiners never seemed to go over. And or they would gonna, go over, and then it would be they they would uh, Bischoff would give them the titles back on the next episode. It was of Nitro just or it was it was ridiculous. And by the time it was time for the Steiner brothers to get their comeuppance, the Nobody decision cared. was made. You needed to turn Scott heel, and yeah. Scott became Big Papa Pump, and Rick became the guy who won the tag team titles with Kenny Chaos as his partner. So uh, around this time period, we're getting. Some Scott Hall So I, th- I think there was a bit towards the end of 97 when Nash got hurt So we're getting a little bit of We got some Hall versus Luger Then we got the Hall Larry Zabisco Stuff um, And then following that Hall actually won World War 3 in November 1997 so he ended up Becoming the number one contender For whoever the, the champ was going to be So he ends <clears throat> He ends up Waiting and he did get a match With Sting in early 98 But he still got tag team stuff Going on with the Steiners And the Outsiders there He wrestles Larry Zabisco at Sold Out And loses by DQ And then um, at Super Brawl They wrestle again Finally at Uncensored he gets his, uh, his title match Against Sting he loses Even though that's when Dusty Rhodes turns Heel and Dusty Rhodes is in the mix there Dusty Boy, Rhodes with that the made no sense. NWO shirt so, um, yeah, I mean, when you have the lifetime baby faces like that, I know they would do it for shock value. Who's in the NWO now? But there were some people that just never should have. And guys like Booker, who got asked to get in it, and DDP, I think it did great for them not ending yep. up joining that DZ. Because like you Jericho said, Jericho was uh, was one of them too. Yeah, Jericho was another one because it just got so out of hand. I remember towards the end. Being so annoyed and rolling my eyes And knowing that no match was ever going to have a, a clean ending, there were always going to be Five people that come out and end it And then the, the baby face always was going to get Spray painted You hit it perfectly, Andrew, when you were saying it A moment ago, they just didn't Understand, Darren, that At some point, the baby face Has to get the comeuppance You guys are yep. the bad guys At, at some point, there's got to be a date circled When you guys go down Yep, And they didn't want to do that no, in fact, in fact, they ended Goldberg's streak at at the cost of not doing that. Um, they made they made some very poor booking decisions, and you make enough poor booking decisions, you can keep a certain thing. Listen, the NWO was the coolest thing in wrestling for a very long time. Everybody was walking around in high school doing the too sweet thing instead of instead of giving each other pounds or whatever, slapping hands. It was doing the too sweet thing. But things can only stay cool for so long until you make enough bad decisions where you literally drive it into the ground. And yeah, you like rooting for the big bullies on TV a lot, but eventually you want to see them get beat. And, and it's funny because the, an interesting segue uh, or or a, a parable, I should say. I actually I actually talked to my uh, the the basketball team that I coach. Um, last night, how old is that? Are me- the members of these basketball teams they're, just, just they're eight clarity? years old? They're eight okay. years old, yeah. So, we, we we played a game in our own building on Sunday night against the other team from our school. Um, where 
to put it nicely, I, I felt like the Yankees walking into Fenway Park. Um, <laughs> it was very strange. It really was. It was. It, I mean, I'm speaking honestly. It was. It was very strange. And you know, my, there were people. There were kids on the bench next to, uh, in the bleachers next to our bench, who were kind of taunting the kids that were, you know, on the bench and and you know, saying things. And we had to ask them to stop. And it, it was really, really it's bizarre. Weird. That is weird. Um, yeah. But I. But I spoke to the team last night, and I said to them, I can't explain why to you. But even with adults and even in professional sports, when you are a team that is yet to lose, people want to see you lose. Uh, undef- mm-hmm. they, they want undefeated teams to lose. Case in point, the Patriots in the Super Bowl against the Giants. A lot of people root for the Giants in that Super Bowl. They want the Patriots to lose. They don't want to see the perfection. They want someone to come along, snuff it out, and end it. And eventually with the NWO, it got to that point where you said, all right, someone's got to come in and beat these guys. You know, this has been going on now for three years. Something's got to happen here where these guys eventually get their asses handed to them. And it just never happened. And at at what point does it get ridiculous? Because it did. It got very ridiculous. That's well put. I mean, there was still money in the NWO angle in 98 when Goldberg came on the scene. And I would argue that there was money to be made even in the finger poke of doom fiasco if the plan is Goldberg runs through everybody and does so in such a logical way that it sets up something at like the Great American Bash 99 or whatever where you wind up with Goldberg Hogan 2 for the title. Almost like we should have been booking this stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And the problem was with all of the politics that were going on in WCW at that point, with stuff that was happening with AOL Time Warner, it just became a stale product. And between the stale product and the boys running the asylum in the back, you wind up with situations like Scott Hall showing up for work in no condition to perform. And yeah, if that's not, not a good say, if that's not a good enough segue to the problems that he had in the late nineties, guys, yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. He, um, he, he, you could see it. Unfortunately, anytime he had his hair up in like the little ponytail bun thing that he would do, I was like, uh Oh, yeah. he's messed up. That was like the key. Give like the sign for me as a kid, I could see it in his face. You could see it in his eyes where he's, he couldn't even get the, hey, you know, you know, you know, he's like really slurred out. And you know you got a bunch of money You have uh, less work A lot of opportunities to do whatever you want And things are not going well with your family And you're a guy who Has all these struggles and demons That we've talked about from before he even started wrestling And oh yeah You've put your body through a whole hell of a lot Over about a 15 year period now So you're physically in pain You put all that together He was just not in a great spot And he would be off TV for a little while and back and forth, and they would do, you know, the NWO Wolf Pack, and he was in, involved in some stuff here and there with Kevin Nash. He was calling himself medium sexy at one point <laughs> instead of big sexy, and just a lot of this stuff, Darren. I just don't. It just wasn't good. Like I don't remember it. It doesn't stick. It wasn't well done. It's probably not stuff that he would want to be remembered for either. Like a lot of this stuff in 88 into 89 He feuds with Goldberg In a ladder taser match 
you know, as sort of a a little bit of a revenge for when he used the taser to to screw over Goldberg and end the the undefeated streak. He ends up having some stuff with with Roddy Piper early in '99, in middle of '99, and then he's off for a long time, where he shows back up at the end of '99. And the the problem was it was they had a hit with the NWO at the beginning. It was a hit. But they let it go on too long And then they kept trying to go back to the well Over and over and over again With the band And then the NWO we'll talk about in a minute It's going to come over to WWE and then they're gonna... lethal Dose oh, of poison He was trying to do the same thing They were calling themselves the Juggalo World Order In TNA years later They just have a good idea But you have to be able to understand like That, that time is over And we have to and move look. on there's a certain element of nostalgia that's always well, especially nowadays it's cool, right? Nowadays when right. they show up, but then it was it wasn't even nostalgic. It was like kind of cringy. Yes, yep. it was. And we'll talk about all the reasons that that stuff just did not work. I mean, when they put together the band in TNA in 2010, that was when they made the decision to go head to head with WWE on Monday nights. And the first move they did was allowing Hogan to bring in everything that worked 15 years prior and shocker, it didn't work. It's like, it's like anything though in in wrestling. I mean, the original of something is always the best. And every time you tweak it a little bit and you augment it, it loses a little bit of its shine, Mm -hmm. including things like the four horsemen. Yeah, every time. Nothing, nothing was ever as good as Ric Flair, Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. You know, even when they brought in Luger and Wyndham, lost a little bit of the shine. Mm-hmm. When they brought in Sting and Sig Vicious, lost a little bit more of the shine. You know, it, it's just, it, it's just like you can only repackage things and continue to do things and change things so many times, which is why it makes it even on an individual level to change your character and reinvent yourself and stay relevant in doing that is so incredibly difficult. And like you talk about like the undertaker changing his character time and time again, over 30 years and being able to stay Jericho same level. Jericho has done it time and time again. You can literally count the number of people who have done it on one hand successfully. So, which is why, okay, NWO, first year, really cool. Second year, ah, still kind of cool. Third year, um, okay, mm. what's going on now? And, and now we're and getting to NWO 2000. Oh, right. good Lord. Yep. With Jeff exactly. Jarrett and, yep. and, uh, and Scott Steiner and Brett in the mix. And I, I love Brett, right? Brett's my favorite. We talk about Brett a million times. Anytime I can get a Brett plug in. Watching these clips back. At the time, there are a few good matches that you can pull out from Brett. You know, even even Brett going in there half-assing something is going to be like a bottom baseline of. He of had a couple fine. of really good TV matches with Booker T. I remember Booker that T. you need to go back and find, but they're good. Yeah, some pop up. There's also one with he who will not be named. Uh, some stuff there oh, that, that was, was such was, a great match, and unfortunately, you can't watch it anymore. Bummer. There, um, he did some good stuff. Uh, you know, at the U.S. title level, but and hey, who are you to doubt El Dandy? El Dandy, but man, his face 
He just always was like I don't give an F what's going on He always like he was just wearing it on his face always. And in the meantime right next to him You have Scott Hall Who is pilled and drunk out of his mind And gee no wonder Brett didn't care anymore If nobody else did why should he I know and this is the story the ma- Like a storyline where they're all being put back in Nash is in there He doesn't give a shit He's booking himself to do whatever he wants Jarrett They're trying to They're trying Really hard with Jarrett And Jarrett was never a main event level player Let Jarrett was a mid-card guy Can I say and, it? Yep Broke a thousand guitars <laughs> And never drew a dime <laughs> That's a great line It's, it's true And like, any wrestling company Has a spot for a Jeff Jarrett There's a place on your roster for Jeff Jarrett It's not at the top And it didn't, it didn't work here And then poor Scott Hall just Kind of back and forth He, um, I think the last thing he ended up doing Was Super Brawl 2000 February 20th That was his last appearance in WCW And then after that DZ it just It it got just kind of collectively worse and worse For him for a while um, We saw some stuff in ECW He popped up for a couple non-TV matches He loses his one to Big Sal His entrances For those were awesome Because look ECW didn't have music rights or anything They just used stuff So they pull out Ready or Not by the Fugees And nobody has any idea who's coming out of the curtain And all of a sudden you see this big guy with Hall on the front of his tights And an Outsiders t-shirt And the crowd, which is supposed to be vehemently Anti-WCW, anti-establishment Everything WCW stood for Just fawns over the guy mm-hmm. He pops up there and that's that star power DZ So not great for a little bit But he's going to get another shot from Vinnie Mac Vinnie Mac gives him another opportunity He We, uh, we end up seeing I guess before this he goes over to Worth mentioning he goes over to New Japan And he wrestles with uh, Masahiro Chono And then he actually has a match Against Tanahashi Hiroshi Tanahashi Who was a young rookie at the time So he It's really crazy when you sort of draw his Like wow back to the In the ring with Sting Vader AWA stuff where he's there with Henning he's going to be the next Hogan guy And then you you know you trace his Lineage back into WWF Then back to WCW and then here he is in NW uh, in in New Japan with Tanahashi, who ends up being one of the all time greats. But he gets another shot with the WWE, and they bring in, as uh, Andrew said, the lethal dose of poison. The company had a cancer, and it was Ric Flair, so they want to bring in the poison of the NWO. So the NWO is back in WWE 2002, and it's Nash, it's Hogan, it's Hall. But unfortunately, like this whole run for him, you could just see he was struggling. Yep. It just, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. No. On a lot of levels. Yep. Yeah. He was really struggling with substance stuff. He was struggling personally. By the way, I'm, dis- I'm disappointed in, in WWE here because the angle they, that they did. Yeah. The angle, the angle that they did, they knew he had a problem. And I don't know if they tried to help him. You know, I remember on the E60, Stephanie McMahon just said that uh, he wasn't performing to the previous levels and they decided to 
mutually part ways, which of course is company line for, we don't want you here anymore and you have no choice but to accept it. Um, but a guy that gave you so much and was so important to the industry, I've never heard anything about, and correct me if I'm wrong, WWF, WWE working with him to try to help him. Well, in, in that documentary, now look, I don't know if it was at that time, but Stephanie McMahon also did say that Scott Hall was the guy that WWE had spent the most money with sending to rehab to try to clean him up. Oh, they she did. Okay. Yeah, she wouldn't go into specifics, but I, she I did, did say, read it somewhere. Yeah, yeah I did. Read it. It's, I don't know if it was at this figures. point. But it might have been after. It might have been a little later. It could. Right. Have been. It was the timing that's the issue here. We're yeah. not sure when that happened. And look, the way that that went down, and if you read one of Jericho's books around the time, he was nervous about them coming in. Not necessarily Hogan, because he knew Hogan was a pro, but Hall and Nash specifically. There's a story about Hall going around shaking everybody's hand, and he gets to the Dudleys. And he looks at Bubba and Devon and he they're talking about the 3D and he says, sweet finisher, can't wait to kick out of it and just walks away like a how enabled have you been yeah. to get to a point where you're talking to people like that? Hey, you don't even really first know day in the company and how inebriated are you to where you think that's OK? Now, look, we're saying all of this stuff. With the mindset that he got better. And look, people can be redeemed. People can change. And that's the redeeming storyline here with Scott Hall. The fact that he cleaned himself up. Wound up actually making really good friends with a lot of people that he ticked off during his wrestling career. Jericho wrote about that on uh, mm -hmm. one of his social media posts. But the it's Scott a big part Hall, of his story. Yeah, it can't be the, told. It, his story can't be told without referencing a lot of his struggles and his hiccups. Right. I mean, from the very yeah. beginning, he was a guy who was dealing with trauma. And look, honestly, if he had access to the mental health resources we have today, after what happened in 1983, does he go down that road? We don't know. You don't know, but, but you feel like he might have yeah. a better support system. Yep. The point of the matter is Scott Hall in 2002 was not a pleasant person to work with or be around and that can be encapsulated with the plane ride from hell. And he has right. the bad match with Hogan or with uh, with um, Austin at with, WrestleMania. Though to be fair, he did at least salvage somewhat with an <laughs> awesome sell. Stunner. stunner. He sold the hell that out of that. Cool. He even says the match wasn't great. Him and Austin didn't love it. And a lot of it just had to do with the fact that, you know, Scott Hall wasn't really in a great place. Uh, Darren, I think they even referenced that he was taking pills to try to keep him from drinking. That if he could like smell alcohol or if alcohol was around, he would become really sick and vomit. Yeah. And then there were there were times where Austin was pouring beer all over him when the guy was was. So there was a lot of just bad stuff overall. And you know they're trying to do this NWO thing. It's really not working. He keeps he's involved with the uh, the Big Show, and you know Big Show keeps turning back and forth. And then as Andrew said, that leads to the plane ride from hell. And that basically leads to, like, right afterwards, him being released via, from, you know, problems with the, the substance abuse stuff. So it was about 2000, you know, middle to late part of 2002 where uh, he's starting, he's done so with WWE. Yeah, and this is where things really start to go wrong. Um, 
you know, you've lost WCW. I'm sure you've drank and pilled your way through a lot of your money at this point. You've been married, divorced, remarried, divorced again. Um, you know, th- it, it, it's got to be hard um, to go through all of that. You know, where at one point, you know, six years ago, you were on top of the world. And now you probably wake up and wonder what the hell happened. Um, you know, and it, and it would head into, you know, the run with with TNA and eventually going into the independence and every once in a while he would show up and you'd get a good match and you'd get a good spot or, you know, good promo. But more often than not, it just was hard to watch. And, um, you know, it's somebody at the at the latter stages of their career trying to hang on. I mean, that TNA Uh, stuff is all a blur, man. Yeah, it is like there's some there's a few things you can pick out here and there, but it's just them trying to do all of the stuff that they did in WCW over again. But he would pop. I mean, he was popping up there for years, years, 2002, years. 2004. I mean, like you, you think about some of the people that he was he was wrestling at the time. We got like uh, our rest in peace, Brian Lawler. Uh, he he was in the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match to Ron Killings, our truth. Yeah. Then he leaves. He comes back in 24, 2004. Him and Nash teaming up uh, with Jarrett. That's where they're doing the Kings of Wrestling. They defeated, he defeated AJ Styles. Um, then the three of them lose to Randy Savage, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles. <laughs> How about that as a team? Yeah. He's involved in a segment the in the pit with Piper, who was doing his like Piper's pit segments there. I had completely forgotten that Piper had a cup of coffee and TNA. Yeah. Man. We're into uh 2005. He's with Jeff Hardy at final resolution. And then he leaves for a little while. He shows back up in 2007 and he's involved with sting with Kurt angle. Karen angle is like involved in a storyline with Scott hall where she is. She's like interested in him. She, she wants Scott hall. Um, we get stuff with Samoa Joe, the outsiders, Samoa Joe, they begin a feud with the angle Alliance. They were into 2008 now Scott Hall and the insane clown posse Are are linked up they're And we're seen, running through this Because there's really nothing substantive To get into Yeah, it. no, that's why, right? Because it's not even Like, I've seen a lot of this stuff But it's not It's just bad, honestly It's bad It really is The names are kind of funny that, That's mainly what I wanted Just seeing some of the people who I, You kind of forget that he even was dealing with at TNA at that time, you know, the AJ Styles of the world, that one with AJ, Jeff Hardy, and Randy Savage. Like, what? What? And and then that's that's kind of it for him as far as wrestling in the United States. He has some international stuff after. He goes to wrestle for the World Wrestling Council in he's in San Juan. Then he goes to do some stuff in Puerto Rico. He is ends up going to the JWC, the Juggalo Championship Wrestling, <laughs> in 2007. I, I, I never. It's the insane clown posse's. Promotion. That was their thing. Uh, okay, yeah, there we go. So he took a, a a bad bump on the thumbtacks apparently in one of the spots there, which he had never done before. So now let's start doing it. You know, yeah. in two, 2007. Some I'll of the be co- very happy if I don't ever see thumbtacks again. 
Can, can we just, just let, let's just throw that out there? Yeah. I don't need him. Yeah, he's he, he, Nash shows up in Juggernaut and JWO. So then they decide that uh, they're going to invade TNA. They this is where they're calling themselves the band, getting back together now. Um, not following that. So I mean, this is just really bad stuff. Really bad stuff. They even mentioned that they want to invade Ring of Honor and UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Now we're into 2010. Andrew had referenced this one before when they debuted TNA Live to go head to head with Monday Night Raw. It was a three hour debut. Him and Sean Waltman, X Pac, show up. Hogan's there and they want to try to get everybody back together. Hogan says no, but they do create the band. And it's Scott Hall, it's Six Pack, uh, Six Pack. I mean, it's just the the same stuff from all these guys from years back. But they got Kurt Angle involved here. There's some stuff with Eric Young. Now, um, it is just amazing to see how you know. I forget about a lot of this time period, but I, I've seen most of it too. The the band, Rob Van Dam, Jeff Hardy. Now in in some matches, now they go to the Dudley Boys Team 3D and the Motor sh- uh the Motor City the Motor City <laughs> machine. Hey, now machine the guns. Motor City machine guns. Ain't <laughs> they're good. Shitty. Let's just no. They're that's they're what, still awesome. They're a, a fantastic tag team, and we um yeah we're into 2010 sacrifice. He he ha- he links uh he he interacts with Matt Morgan after that, and then that's about it. He gets released. Well, 2011. We gotta we gotta talk about the 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 independent issue, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, boy. that was that was real. That was about it for him. And, and then that's 2010. So 2000. Following that, Continental Championship Wrestling um, with Sean Waltman. He he shows up there. He does a lot of managing of a guy named Ricky Ortiz. And then they go to the Gathering of the Juggalos, another one of those. He goes and does some stuff in England. And then he was announced uh, even in 2015 for Global Force Wrestling, but it was 2011 that incident at the uh, at the house show DZ where, I mean, he could barely make it to the ring. He was slurring. It was horrible. And when he would yeah. show up, or when his name, it, it was around this time period in about 2011 when, if we would hear Scott Hall, I was always nervous. Like, uh, yeah. oh, this might yeah. be it for him because every time we saw him, he looked worse and worse. He could barely walk. Yeah, you know, it was. He got to, I think, it was about 2012 or so when DDP started to take him in. Guy couldn't even move. Yeah, how? Number one, shame on the promotion for putting him out there. Indeed. Uh, uh, I understand you paid the guy, and I understand that you're pissed that he showed up in that condition. Shame on you for exploiting it for your own uh, financial gain, because I have no doubt. That a conversation took place where the guy who ran that promotion said, Hey, Scott Hall is going to go out there, unable to stand up, sounding like a bumbling, mumbling idiot. This video is going to show up all over the place and we're going to get prop, we're going to get play for it. There's no doubt in my mind that that was the major factor in allowing that fiasco to go on. Um, whatever the reason being, whether it was a mixture of legalized medications, uh, because at that time, Scott Hall uh, had a, was having an issue with seizures, in addition to being in, in heart failure and having all kinds of things going on medically, plus whatever he was doing outside of what was being legally prescribed to him and whatever combination of all that that caused 
what took part, what what, what we saw at uh, at at uh, was it Falls River, Massachusetts? I believe was the name of the uh, was the name of the town, Fall River, Massachusetts. But um, I mean, if you've never seen the video, I don't want to tell you to watch it. It's it's one of the hardest things. It's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. From a wrestling standpoint, it's it's a guy who literally needs to be. It literally takes him two minutes to get from the apron of the ring into the ring. And I'm literally saying it takes him two minutes to climb through the ropes. He can't move. When you see the early stages of when Diamond Dallas Page got him in, he couldn't move. When he would like bend over even or move, his back and his neck would crack all the way through. This was a guy who was a like a top class athlete. Phenomenal shape. Incredible. Think about where he was in 92, 93 with that body. Yep. And I and, and when I went and, and watched the E60 back last night, I mean, they had the promoter on from that show to talk about it. And it it, it really pissed me off. It, it really did. I don't know what that guy's doing now. I hope he's not connected to professional wrestling in any way, shape, or form. Um, because he literally was justifying his actions. And said, hey, the guy showed up demanding his money. You want your money? We're going to pay you. We're going to throw you out there. And the rest of it's on you. Um, yeah, I'd like to get that guy behind the curtain for five minutes. And we'll see what's on him. But, uh, yeah, it 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 was one of the saddest scenes in wrestling. And I, I believe Scott Hall would tell you probably uh, in terms of, uh, with the exception of, obviously, the incident back in 1983, probably the low point the low of his point. life. Yeah. It was a bummer, Andrew, to to see him like that. But as you said, we feel better about this conversation. And, and we're saying it as he just passed away. But where he was in his personal life and physically when he did pass away, these were things that he all did get fixed. And he did get them figured out. And he got back in nice shape. You know, he wasn't going to go out and wrestle, but the guy actually did wrestle matches. He wrestled matches again in 2016. He had a match. He got to tag. He got the tag with his son in a match. He wrestled against Chuck Taylor in a match in uh, 2016. And we we remember 2014. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, something that was a huge deal to him. When you see the footage or any of the behind the scenes stuff, this guy was so excited. He was so pumped to be back in a life in a world that he thought he had he had ruined. He thought he burned all of his bridges. He had done and said a lot of things to a lot of people who were close to him and trusted him, but you know what? They knew that he was struggling and the moment that he was clean, they all welcomed him right back and embraced him. And so it was so cool to see how it did come Full circle for him not only did he get Inducted in 2014 and had an Incredible speech that People have been quoting over and over The last few days that uh, What bad times don't last but Bad guys do is one of the the Final uh, lines of his Which was a really cool line And he got inducted Into the hall of fame again So we saw him pop up on Monday Night Raw a few times 2015 he Was there and then at Wrestlemania 31 in that just awfully overbooked match with Triple H and Sting. It was fun to see them all pop out. It didn't make any sense, but he was physically able, you know, to come out and do that. He would he showed up and uh celebrated with Zack Ryder in 2016 when Ryder won the IC title. And he was he was becoming one of those guys that you would just 
Associate with the Intercontinental Championship And it's cool I, I don't know if they've made any decision or not right now As we record this on Tuesday night But I know Ricochet is the new Intercontinental Champion And they don't really seem like they have A plan set for him He just won it This would be a perfect thing to have The Razor Ramon Memorial Or you know ladder match this year Just a real cool little way to give him a, a spotlight Because he He was able to come back And give Back to a lot of the younger guys and gals They loved him, they looked up to him He he could teach them a lot of things he about. He spent a lot of time at the Performance Center he Helping did. people out, yeah And his son, Cody Hall, wrestled And was, yeah. um, there's a moment where he, he meets Cesaro In one of the, uh, the behind the scenes And he tells Cesaro, man, my son loves you He wants to literally wrestle just like you He told me And, and Scott Hall is like geeking out He goes, man, my son's going to be so excited that I met you He can't, he's not going to believe it Like he would be like if w- one of us was meeting him So you do feel it's, it's really sad, Andrew Because we're talking about this now after he passed away But I feel so much better Having this retrospective conversation Knowing that He cleaned a lot of his life up He was with his family And he was probably in a really good place um, You know, yesterday When it was all said and done that's for darn sure. Um, really quick, just because I did do a little bit of research, the guy that promoted that show in Fall River, Massachusetts, is a guy named Steve Rickard. He is still promoting shows on a part-time basis oh, through gosh. Top Rope Promotions. Uh-huh. Having said that, the guy has 400 followers on Twitter. I'm not sure okay. how well he's doing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was obviously a gigantic mistake. Uh, Cody had a nice run in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was in the Bullet Club, and he was sort of the Young Bucks enforcer of Source. And it made a lot of sense because if you've seen Cody Hall and the way that he looks, he looks like an enforcer type. He had himself a nice little run. He was supposed to have signed a deal with MLW a while back, but as it turned out, that deal fell through for some reason or another having said that though if you watch that e60 piece that we've referenced a couple of times the thing that gets you and it really hits home is scott talking about his son with his son training and scott's you know overlaid voice going he's got everything it takes and he's got his dad's last name if that doesn't hit you hard i check your pulse um the fact that he was able to get his life back in order. And you can see some of this in the documentary that was supposed to profile Jake Roberts. And then he came in halfway through, but the way he was able to clean up his life and be in just a a much better position than he was in 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it's inspiring. And it's incredibly sad that what happened earlier this month happened with him passing away as a result of, complications of all, of all things with a, a hip replacement surgery and a blood clot. It's, it, it's incredibly sad, but at the same time, him doing everything he did the last 10 years or so to clean himself up makes it a lot easier to celebrate the things that he did. Yeah. And uh, Scott Hall was just in our generation. He was right in that wheelhouse uh, that I remember growing up. My uncle Rocco, who, 
Took me to the Anaheim Pond show My uncle doesn't watch wrestling anymore He used to, he kind of loved it But he he knew that I liked wrestling And so and he never had, had any kids of his own So he was very excited always to kind of know what I, Be interested in whatever I was interested in And when it was wrestling He would watch and uh, he texted me uh, lot, lot, uh, Yesterday right when, uh, right when the news broke And said, did you hear Razor Ramon passed away? Man, and we went back and forth So just one of those guys like Darren said about his dad That you know that that ladder match afterward wows you. He he looked, acted, felt like a wrestler, like what a wrestler's supposed to be. A little bit larger than life, you know, yeah. kind of feel almost like that superhero comic book character. And that's what you got from Scott Hall. It wasn't, and it wasn't ever like jokey with him, right? That character, that gimmick, that could have been a real joke in the wrong hands. The way it is, right? Even. I laugh about the guy I love on NXT, Tony D'Angelo, but he plays sort of like a jokey Italian gimmick, right? Scott Hall mm-hmm. wasn't playing a gimmick. Scott Hall was that guy. He was the bad guy. Yep. It, yep. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, he threw an accent in there and whatever, but it worked. Uh, it, it worked really well. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a shame. You almost wonder, you almost wonder if he, would have stayed in WWE how things would have went with him. Would it have changed things? Obviously he had issues. He was suspended at times in WWE. But did he but, did you get more like of the family, right? Because that's how I Vince I, yeah, I I wonder. I don't know. Do you like get into as much, much trouble there. Yeah. Do you like, eventually get the push you want? Yeah. Do if you, you do get the push you want, are you in a better place? Uh, or does it even matter? Was the guy like we said right. was was the poor guy troubled from 1983 before he ever even got into the business because of right. some of the things that happened to him. But at, but at the same time, you know, if WWE said that they did spend a lot of money sending him to rehab several times, you know, I, maybe maybe things went really bad in WCW because they turned a blind eye to it, you know, yeah. because there was no real yeah. oversight because, you know, Hall and Nash were essentially booking things themselves and they were practically their own boss. You know, that's a completely different lifestyle than if you, are walking into you know WWE uh, arenas every day, and you know you got Vince McMahon watching everything that's going on. You know, does that change things at all? You know, does uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's an interesting question. I'm not trying to put that on Vince. No, but saying it's his fault. But uh, you know, if if he stays in WWE, I, I wonder if things are are different for him or not. I, you have I, a stricter schedule. Yeah. You have like probably less disposable money. And you have people that are watching you and that are a lot more like a like a coach, like a manager, right? They got to do whatever the hell they wanted over there in WCW. Nobody knew what was going on behind nobody knew what was going on on the show. Yep. Let alone what these guys were doing in their own personal lives behind closed doors. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's very sad that we uh we had to talk about uh this today, but it, in you know, coming together, uh, we we all decided that this this felt like the right thing, Andrew. I think you uh, you guys both presented it and said, "Hey, you know what? We can talk some Starcade next week." But this is a perfect time to uh, to reflect and to uh, to uh, to memorialize Razor Ramon Scott Hall because he was a big part of our young wrestling lives. That's for sure. I mean, the E60 documentary. They uh, the the intro is a bunch of reporters around a table like they're pitching stories, and they said. That for a time in the mid to late 90s, Scott Hall was as big as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, whatever. 
the first time I saw the documentary, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's no way. That's right. He wasn't. But at the same time, he did a lot of things in his career that helped a lot of people. I think it was RJ City who tweeted something along the lines of, for everything that he did, Scott Hall left the business far better than he found it between the stuff that he would impart on younger wrestlers near the end of his life to negotiating contracts through agents the same way Nash did. A lot of professional wrestlers are a lot better off for the things that he did, both as far as wrestling goes and as far as being a cautionary tale too. Because again, by his own admission, he should have been dead a hundred times in 2011. And the fact that he was able to rebuild his life and get stuff back together, that's pretty darn cool. DZ, Andrew, thank you so much for uh, hanging out, talking a little bit about Scott Hall, Razor, Ramon. Scott Hall is someone that we will remember forever. And uh, with uh, with all of the, the great streaming services and all the content now, people will be watching back his big moments and his matches for years and years to come. Hey, before we wrap up, let's just let's let's put this out there. Each of us say this. If we had to tell the audience one match to go back of Scott Hall's career and watch, which one, which would you guys pick? Okay, that's good. That's good. I would say for me, you know, there's one that we didn't mention that I actually really like. Right, and it's let, not that not, long. Let's not include the obviously the ladder match from WrestleMania 10 yeah. is number one. Let's the, let's put a pin in that because obviously if you haven't seen the ladder match from WrestleMania 10, just stop listening to us now and go watch that. Yeah, watch that thing. <laughs> aside, watch that immediately. Aside from one, that. <laughs> and of course, no joke, here's where I'm gonna go. But he has one with Brett on the King of the Ring card, 93. It's the first match that Brett has in the King of the Ring where he goes on to win it. And it's not as long as their main event match, which is which was earlier. And it's a different style. They work. And this is right as he's about to turn babyface. But it's a lot of fun. And then I think the following year, he has one at King of the Ring with Owen, I believe. I, I, I think that's correct. So I would check 93 King of the Ring, 94 King of the Ring. Those are two that are a little under the radar. And the 93 one with Brett is one that's fun because it's a lot quicker paced than the... Uh, than the earlier one in the Rumble, but they're just totally different matches. So DZ, give us a give us a razor match or two that you liked. Um, I mean the two that wouldn't be so incredibly obvious that I'll give um, the Intercontinental Championship match, the first one, Razor Ramon versus Rick Martel, uh, Monday Night Raw in nineteen ninety three. You can find the match on YouTube. It's about it's about fifteen minutes or so. Um, it's probably. I would put it as a four-star match in terms of its uh, actual uh, in-ring work. And and a match that's just a lot of fun that he's a part of. And it's more about his character and building the bad guy persona is the Survivor Series 92 tag match of Ramon and Flair against Perfect and Savage. Yeah, so 94 King of the Ring is sort of the one that you, you kind of think it's it's for him. Because he beats Bam Bam in the first match. Then he, had, he beats... Um, IRS in the second match and it's him Versus Owen in the final And it's not like a long or quick and they're both kind of Tired but it's just fun like that's a That's a fun Razor show where you see Razor A lot throughout that show and built up Andrew anything that jumps out to mind Of a a Razor match to watch Bash at the beach 96 with Nash and Hogan I mean it. I'm a WCW guy Like I mentioned the first Wrestling show I saw was the one Where he came out of the audience That storytelling there it was perfect. It launched WCW into the stratosphere that it could never get to. And 
Does it work without any of those three guys? Probably not. Okay, so before we finish up, um, it's March Madness right now. We're recording this on Tuesday night, and I asked you fellas if you don't, if you haven't done your bracket stuff or anything quite yet, don't worry about it. But I know, Andrew, you always make the trip out to Vegas for these days. So if you've looked at the bracket, is there anything that jumped out at you? You could tell us a team that you you have in an upset or someone you have making a run or maybe something that's, you know, g- give us a little something for the bracket, Andrew. And then DZ, I if you mean, have something. Mm-hmm. I've got a first round spread that I already know if it stays what it is, it's going to be my biggest bet of the trip. Okay, what's um, this one? So look, my first job out of college was working in the sports information department at Siena College in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. That conference this year was won by St. Peter's, a school in New Jersey. And Jersey St. City, Peter, I think. Yes. Uh, and St. Peter's can guard on the perimeter, but they have no size and they cannot score. This is not the description of a team that is set to go toe-to-toe with Kentucky. Kentucky has Oscar Shebway, who is an absolutely tremendous front court player and could go for 40 points and 20 rebounds in that game if John Calipari keeps him on the floor. That spread is currently Kentucky minus 18. Anything 20 and lower, I will be unloading on the Wildcats on Thursday afternoon. Because I hope you're right. I, uh, I just cannot see St. Peter's keeping that at all close. I've got a uh, play in a player's pool. That is a, a draft where you we each tra- uh, draft six players on any teams, and it just and uh, it's just on points. So whoever accumulates the most points based on your the players on your team, I had the fourth pick and I got Shibway. So I was pretty I was pretty nice. happy there because I feel like you got a couple Gonzaga guys win early, one or two of the Arizona guys, and then I uh, I had him fall to me. So I've got Kentucky making a, a nice run. DZ, what's something uh, to jump out at you, or, or what's something that you looked at uh, at the bracket? Yeah, a, cu- a couple of first round uh, or even a little bit further things. Um, I, I think I think Davidson has a shot to get to the Sweet Sixteen. I like this uh, one too. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I I just think something's not right with Duke. Um, I I know it's it's Duke and it's Coach K's last year, but you know it's almost just, like it's too much for them, right? It's like that became yeah. like bigger than them playing in their season. They have not looked great. They are, David Davidson is a dangerous team because they play a very slow tempo game, but they can be deadly with their shooting. Uh, they have three guys that can hit the three at an extremely high rate. They're a good free throw shooting team. They control the possession of the ball. And if they are locked on and, and on target in the game where they're dominating possession, slowing things down and hitting their shots, uh, I think they're a dangerous matchup. For Duke in the second round um, And because what's nice about them also Is that you were kind of hitting on it They're not one of those just run and gun Teams they're efficient Yep, They're extremely efficient They are they shoot 55 and a half Percent from the field Yep they were number eight in the country In three point percentage 
Shooting over 38.5% They were the number 11 ranked offense Out of hundred out of 360 In the country And that's a major weakness for Duke Their defense is not great at all I agree with you I think they can win a couple games And, and they you, you could tell the way that the, the committee Set that up That they were basically saying Oh we want to have a Coach K versus Izzo game To get to the Sweet 16 And I think yeah. Davidson is like Hey wait a minute Michigan yeah. State We're a better team than you are yeah, I, I think I think they are. Um, the uh, another first round upset that I like, I like Virginia Tech to beat Texas. I don't like Texas at all. Uh, anytime they faced a strong opponent, or a lot of times that they faced a strong opponent this year, they did not perform well. They're two similar teams in terms of their style. They're both very slow tempo offenses. Um, Texas does not shoot the ball well at all. They don't shoot the three at all. They hover just above thirty percent. Virginia Tech nearly hits threes at forty percent. Um, I just think it's a bad matchup for Texas there in the first round. I don't love Virginia Tech as a team. And whoever wins the game, I don't have, think has a chance against Purdue in the second round. But More if of you're an looking, anti-Texas. Yeah, but I'm just completely, yeah, I, I think it's a bad matchup for Texas. I think it's probably the worst 11 seed draw that they could have gotten. I, I just don't like the matchup at all. Uh, so I think that's another first round, another first round upset. Um, the team that I'm looking to potentially make some noise in the tournament is Auburn. I think they might get forgotten about a little bit here. Um, you know, Kansas is hot, obviously. Arizona they're in the they were in the football powerhouse quarter bracket down there on the bottom with yeah. my Trojans, with Miami, with Auburn, with Wisconsin, and with LSU. We're all yeah. the football powerhouses down there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But they they played they played a good they played a, a tough schedule throughout the year. They've been consistent. Um, you know, my only concern about them is that they were completely dominant at home. So I don't know. I think they were 16 and 0 at home this year. So it remains to be seen what they're going to do in a tournament setting where they're playing, you know, away from, from their home arena. But uh, I, I like, I like where they are positioned. I don't think, I don't think very highly of Providence. I'm not a big, big East guy. Well, it's funny that whole bracket for me, and I'm an SC fan, obviously, but all of the teams throughout the year that I was wanting to fade come tournament time, they kind of all showed up in <laughs> like Providence. Yeah. I didn't, I was never high on. I wanted to fade them for sure. LSU. I've been waiting to fade them. Wisconsin. I've been waiting to fade them, especially with Johnny Davis banged up a little bit. I don't know when exactly I will, but it's like, they all kind of are in here. And then the right. one with Iowa, Iowa can beat anybody, but I'm a little bit nervous because they're just a sexy pick for everyone. They're hot. Everybody saw them score. They can score a whole ton. Keegan Murray's awesome. Their defense is bad, though. I was going to say, do they play enough defense? Is, no, is and the they got question. lucky. Yeah. They might have been able – they could have lost two of those games last weekend along the way here. And so can they win in a one-game situation? Sure, but are you going to tell me that they just won three and that three or four more games in a row, they're going to shoot great and play good enough defense? I don't know if I trust them. I don't I, – I, I think eventually they get picked off, and if they make it all the way to Kansas – uh, I, I I don't think that they play enough defense to stay with Kansas. I think I, I think the top two seeds get the uh, get there, but I don't trust Bill Self in an NCAA tournament. I know he's got a, a championship from 15 years ago. Uh, I just think I think Auburn is somewhat interesting because I I'll be honest with you, there's just not a lot of teams that I love this year. I think no. there's a lot of teams with with holes, and maybe that's why Gonzaga is just going to run through this thing and win as the best team. But if if you told me right now the championship game was Gonzaga Auburn, I would not be surprised at all. Can Andrew, I any other a, thoughts? Please can I give you a Cinderella that I hate. Please. So 
I understand that there is a contingent of people who do not like the Big Ten, and that's totally fine. Are you going to say Loyola Chicago? No. Oh. No, I'm not. <laughs> so I see a lot of steam for Colgate. Get out of here. Really? <laughs> I, I understand yeah. that Colgate wins a lot of games. They play a very fun style. And if you don't play defense, you don't want to see Colgate on your line because yeah, Colgate is capable deep. of scoring 80 or 90 points. Yeah. They have bet that spread down to seven and a half. I know. Forgetting that Colgate is going to the state of Wisconsin. That's like, a, that's a home play game. Wisconsin, that's a straight home game. Who won 15 games in the Big Ten. No, stop this. Or actually, you know what? Keep, keep doing betting. it and you go the keep other way. Betting, keep getting that spread down because every time the spread keeps going down, I will be hammering Wisconsin. Colgate now you, I has wonder... a lot of firepower, but my goodness, a true road game against a Big Ten team that is perfectly configured to stop the thing you're good at. I wonder how much that's built into the health of Davis, Johnny Davis, who didn't it's look entirely good, possible, but, but he played, he didn't look great, but he played. And I, I mean, that was, that's, that's a little, I, I you felt like they might be double digits. Colgate wasn't Colgate, wasn't Colgate like two and eight against like the top 40 teams this year. Aren't yeah, all their teams within their, all awful, their wins within bad. the Patriot league. See yeah. the, the thing about Colgate, why they're fun is they are one of two teams in the country to shoot over 40% from three. Okay. They score. They're, they're number they're number two in the nation in in three-point percentage, only behind South Dakota State. So the two best three-point shooting teams in the nation are right next to each other. And they won 15 in a row. And in those 15 that they won, they won one of them by five points. Every other game was by, by nine or more. They blew the crap out of some teams. But... We have no idea who they're playing. They're if and if they shoot forty percent from three. So if they don't shoot forty percent from three, what's going to happen in a game where physically they have no? They're not going to be even close to matching up with the kind of athletes that Wisconsin has over there. So I, I just mean, I, I would I would going back to what you said. I I think South Dakota State has a better chance of beating Providence than hundred percent uh, beating Wisconsin. Yeah, hundred percent. And the the only thing that worries me about South Dakota State is that's become. Kind of a, a a sexy, trendy upset pick because they average eighty six point seven points per game. They are second in the country to Gonzaga. They scored ninety or, or more points seven times during conference play. They are number one in the country out of three hundred sixty teams in field goal percentage. They are number one in three point percentage, and they shoot. So there are only two teams that shoot over forty percent from three: Colgate and South Dakota State. And Colgate shoots 40.1, so barely over 40. South Dakota State shoots 44.5%. They shoot four percentage points more than the second-place team, which is like the difference between Colgate and, like, the 80th team. Right. Like, it's insane how crazy they are um, as far as efficient. They've won 21 straight games. And then you you flip side. So, because I did pick South Dakota State to beat Providence there. Um, And one of the reasons why I I went – Providence was number one in the luck metric. Um, they they just got really, really lucky in a lot of their games. I'm not saying they're not good, but there are a lot of games that could have flipped the other way. On top of, they had three games in their conference that got canceled. 
Two of them happened to be tough road games That they wouldn't have been favored in And the other one I think was like home game against Seton Hall They they might have lost three Additional games If they were on their schedule So they ended up looking a little bit better Their record overall looked great But when you dive into their metrics and stuff They're not all that good um, So I, I thought that was a sneaky one So yeah I, I went there I actually have the double um, I went the double upset Mainly because I thought Kansas was going to get through there anyways So if it's a good spot for me to pick an upset against Iowa when everyone's going to go Iowa. I went Richmond. Richmond's got one of the cooler stories in the whole tournament, guys. They brought back a bunch of of seniors with the uh like the 5th and 6th year eligibility to try to make one run. They have a 6th year senior named Grant Golden. I'm sure you guys saw this but probably don't even remember. He collapsed on the court as a freshman yeah. back in 2016-2017. Yep. He underwent a heart procedure. They gave him a medical red shirt and then he has played now for four years. So this guy is a senior. He's their leading scorer and he has an opportunity to go and win a tournament game. And the only reason why they're in is because they won their conference tournament. They were one of those teams that was projected to be good this year because they had all these guys coming back and they kind of crapped the bed for a lot of their year. But they're playing well now and they got a second lease on life and talk about a guy who literally got a second lease on life. I thought they're a cool, fun story. So maybe it's a little bit sentimental for me, but I sort of look at the way the bracket shapes up. I wasn't going to have Iowa going all that far, anyways. It's kind of a good spot to to go zig when I think a lot of people are going to try to ride the Iowa train. So uh, yeah, the, I'll tell you the, the matchup that that jumped off the page at me. I would love if they both get there. I think a Houston Illinois game in the second round would be a fun game. A lot of fun. Kind of just. Fun, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know which way I'm going to go, but that. To me, like in the all the four or five games, that's the one that kind of jumped off the page at me. I gotta and, say, I think Houston is gonna blow them out, but Houston UAB has the potential to be an absolute track meet, and I'm really looking forward to that game. UAB over. plays fast. <laughs> Houston has a lot of athletes. Over may well be the play there. And what's everybody, cool about that game? Loves. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Um, it's cool when you see some of the the mid major or smaller teams who may have the best player on the court. And in that game, UAB may have the best player on the court in Jordan Walker. I think he's called Jelly. I think that's his nickname, his <laughs> nickname which, is, which is great. So a um, lot of fun. I know Darren uh, does a, a really good job of kind of tweeting out some tidbits here and there for some of the stuff that he's playing. Andrew's done a real good job over the last couple of weeks of pointing out stuff. And uh, Andrew, you were really good with some of your plays last week in the conference tournament. So let's knock on wood. Fingers crossed. Rub the uh, the rabbit's foot. Anything that you can for luck that we keep it rolling on over to this week. And safe travels out there to Vegas, my friend. I hope you and your dad have a nice time. I know this is always a, a highlight of the, the year for you and something that you look forward to. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And also the people at the new company that I'm working for are letting me write like a live diary of sorts. I'll have updates going to playnevada.com. I'll have a couple of those, probably one later in the week and one after the trip ends. But you can also follow me on social media at Andrew Champagne on Twitter at 142 winners over on Instagram. I'll have a lot of fun stuff going up. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. I'm flying Flying out on a Wednesday night and Thursday through Sunday, I'll be under a neon colored rock watching college basketball and maybe playing a couple of horse races too. It's going to be a lot of fun. DZ, you continue to uh, do a great job with a lot of your Twin Spires uh, selections, a lot of the videos and stuff you have there. Race previews I've seen up uh, with the, for a lot of the big races that you've been doing with Scott Shapiro, um, all sorts of bet back stuff. So. You just keep grinding and then you got uh, a promotion also. So not only are you 
doing uh, great work in front of the camera. You're continuing on that fantastic work behind the scenes. Yeah, a lot going on. They they definitely kept me busy. Uh, they got me uh, transitioning entirely back into horse racing, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, you know, I, I I dabbled on the sports side of things as well, but uh, a role has uh, appeared in, in in on the back end of operations that uh, that they thought I was a good fit for. So I'm definitely looking forward uh, to that and continuing my uh, run here with uh, with Churchill Downs and, and to Inspires and. Uh, I'm sure I'll keep churning out the uh, the video content as well with Scott continuing this bet back stuff that we've been doing. Uh, those videos go out uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's also other little tidbits that pop up now and then. And uh, really looking forward to moving into derby season. Uh, once Turfway ends, uh, I'm not sure if I'm just going to be doing Naira or if I pick up another track after that to go along with it, but still doing the Turfway expert picks and Aqueduct, which of course will transition to Belmont. So Plenty of content to go around. Uh, looking forward to the weather getting warmer. Uh, we're about a month away, less than a month away from Keeneland and all that fun stuff. So we got a lot to look forward to. That's why we all get along. We're all crazy psychopaths that like to work. We just work. We all of us. We got so hey, much work. Listen, listen. We love it. You know, if you wake up and you love what you do, you don't right? work a day in your life. On a, ser- on a serious note, and I've said this to a couple of different people in a couple of different industries. Doers recognize doers. It's how things get done in a world full of people who insist on putting roadblocks up everywhere you turn. Love it. Andrew, have a good week, buddy. DZ, good luck to you. I'll be uh, checking in with you guys real soon. And uh, one more time, uh, go uh, if you're listening to this, go go throw on one of those matches that we said or one of those uh, those shows where Razor Ramon or Scott Hall was a big part of it. So we'll be uh, we'll be thinking about you tonight, bad guy, as a uh, R.I.P. My friend, thanks for uh, entertaining me so much through the years. Next week we will be back with uh, we still have WrestleMania one in the uh, in the hopper. I'm gonna play that in the next few days, and then we'll uh, we're gonna record Starcade one. So you'll get a real good contrast: the first ever WrestleMania, and then the first ever Starcade when we uh, reconvene next on the old Wrestling Rewatch. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Big thank you to Darren and Andrew for helping out. Very sad to reflect on the the life of Scott Hall and uh, Chad Cooper for being uh, really flexible, always helping us out and, uh, and moving around uh, times and uh, doing whatever we need. So thanks, Chad, so much for helping out there. Good luck to everyone this week. And make sure to give me a follow on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. We'll have... NBA, uh, NCAA basketball previews Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, bright and early. If you follow on Twitter, you'll get alerted as soon as we go live. If you need more racing stuff, I'll be helping out uh, with Santa Anita. We'll be previewing the Big Pick 6 mandatory payout for Saturday. I'll have stable dual stuff on Friday. We'll have the Pick'em Santa Anita stream on Saturday morning also. So tons of content um, coming out. It's me, Gino B, is the place to follow. Joey, my friend, close this thing out.